Episode 64, Sunday, January 20th, 2013. Welcome to the XJ Talk Show. You're listening to the premier podcast about Jeep Cherokees, off-road adventures, tips that you can use, and interviews with people in the off-road industry. And now, here are your hosts, Tony and Josh. I am the Tony. And I am the Josh. Josh is not with us tonight, uh, video-wise, because, uh, well, Josh got got into a bad fight with his uh, girlfriend and his face is all messed up. Uh, I was just about to say you should see the other guy. I wouldn't. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I wasn't supposed to tell that, was I? <laughs> no, we're going to be doing some uh, calls tonight, some live phone calls, and uh, one of those calls is going to be on Skype, and uh, uh, we can't do uh, Skype video and the call at the same time. Anyway, my name's Tony. Uh, the XJ Talk Show, which you are listening or watching if you're part of the live show, uh, comes on every Sunday night, uh, 10 p.m. Central which is, uh, well, thereabouts, because I don't think we ever get started at 10. Um, but anyway, uh, we uh, are here because of the, the website, the forum about Jeep Cherokees, which is xjtalk.com. And uh, my uh, na- name or nickname or handle or whatever you want to call it over there is uh, Motoroy. And there's a, an interesting story behind that, which uh, I always threaten to tell, but I'm not going to. And uh, Josh, won't you tell, tell the guys about you on uh, xjtalk.com? Well, I am out here on the West Coast in the lovely Pacific Northwest and uh, came across uh, xjtalk.com a while back. And you can find me there as NW99XJ or Northwest 99XJ. And as the uh, title might lead you to believe, I have a late model Cherokee that uh, we're going to end up talking a little bit about today. Excellent. Uh, We always like talking about the Jeep Cherokees because it makes people happy since we're supposed to be talking about the Cherokees, right? (laughs) <laughs> That's right. Uh, we we tried at least. Sometimes we drift a little bit. A little ADD slips into the conversation every now and again. But but yeah, I got a. I had some interesting stuff going on the last week or so with my Jeep, and um, there, there's been an issue that that's uh, that I've been fighting for a little while. Uh, as you guys heard from the uh, the last episode, uh, I or the last couple episodes, I've I had an issue with uh, my axle U joint, which I had just replaced six months prior. So I was a little surprised uh, to find that one out on me, um, especially on my morning commute um, in the uh, in one day. And so that got all uh, swapped out, taken care of, replaced, and um, and I got some spare parts for the trail now uh, as of last weekend. Now this week, uh, this last week, I, I, after the fix and everything's been working fine, uh, an ongoing issue I've been having is is the Jeep's been wanting to drift a little bit. We're not talking about you know. Fast and the Furious Tokyo drift. <laughs> That's what I was no. thinking. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we're not sliding the Jeep around too terribly much, uh, at least unless it's in the snow. But no, it's it's uh, the front end is wandering a little bit. You know, everybody knows that the Jeeps wander. That that's just uh, something that that is common for Jeeps uh, because of the you know the live front axle. Mine, um, it's been a little bit more, and it's been it's been continuously building a little bit more and more. And, uh, and there's, there hasn't been any real big red flags. I'm not at the risk of all suddenly diving into the next lane uh, or anything like that, but it's just annoying. And, and it's progressively been getting a little bit worse and worse. 
So this weekend, I um, I climbed under the jeep and and took a look and and didn't notice anything you know really out of the ordinary. No you know nuts or bolts missing, anything like that. No shiny metal anywhere you know indicating that something's been slipping or grinding or anything like that. So I was like, okay, you know, I I, I need to to really see how the steering linkage is is working in action. So I had my significant other climb into the uh, into the driver's seat and okay, honey, you know, uh, work that steering wheel back and forth as best as you can. And uh, I get those thirty big old 33 1250s moving back and forth. And I climbed under there, and I'm watching the linkage, you know, paying real close attention to the tie rod ends and stuff like that. And um, and the track bar, I noticed, was had a little bit of movement in it. And followed it down to the axle side and noticed that at the axle side track bar mount, uh, the track bar was moving back and forth about, you know, maybe a couple hundred thousandths of an inch, just slight less than a quarter of an inch. Quite a bit of movement, uh, really, uh, for, for you know, the shouldn't be moving around that much. So I, um, I obviously I found part of the of, of the issue of what's going on. So I uh, I ended up just slapping a larger bit of hardware in there. Some guys will weld on a plate in front of that, and I think that'll be my next step. I'll just reinforce that mount, maybe give it give it a little bit of a gusset, or at least um, you know tack on a piece of uh, of eighth inch or maybe even quarter inch steel on the outside of it, and give that uh give that uh, that mount a little bit more beef and, and keep that hole from uh, wallowing out like it has. Let, let me ask so, you. Uh, let me ask you real quick. You said that was the track bar, right? The uh, uh, the track bar, yeah. Where it attaches to the axle. Where it attaches to the axle. Do you have a metal sleeve in there? The um, the well, there's the bushing in the track bar end, and that itself has a metal sleeve within it. Well, I mean, uh, I don't know if you've seen it on some of the, some of the like the rough country things. They actually provide you with these large metal tubes. It's like a sleeve that the the bolt goes in. So whenever you're pulling the unibody sides to to one side or the other, it actually um, pulls down on on that uh, cylinder. Uh, there's not a sleeve that is inserted through the mount itself. It's just a, a metal sleeve within the bushing um, that is in the tra- track bar. Right. I wonder if that wouldn't help you out if there's one. Uh, I don't know if they make one. I'd have to go look at mine to see if mine came with a sleeve. I think my uh, Rough Country track bar uh, came with a sleeve there. Well, mine's the, jeez, uh, uh, I believe it's the Rugged Ridge. It's been a while since um, since I looked at that list. Uh, I believe that it's a Rugged Ridge double shear track bar. Okay. Well, we'll go ahead. Uh, that just came to mind, and I thought that would keep it uh, from wallowing, wallowing out because – Basically, the the bolt and nut would be collapsing down on the two thin pieces of metal on top of that large cylinder, a, a heavier piece of metal. No, and that's that's actually a really good idea. Um, in order to accomplish that where it is right now, I would have to have that sleeve go inside of the the metal bushing that's inside of um, inside of the bushing that is in the in the end of the track bar. Yes, which would mean I would have to go down size in hardware. So what I think I would oh, do yeah. in that case is I would press out the existing metal sleeve that's in the bushing of the track bar and replace it with something longer. I'd, I'd basically just press that bushing straight through the mount, straight through the uh, the, the rubber bushing, and into the other side of the mount on the axle, right. creating basically just one one solid tube going all the way through all of that, uh, which, is a, which is actually a pretty good idea. Um, and I, I think I might entertain that. Yeah, well, the other thing you were saying, too, heavier pieces of metal welded on there would accomplish the same thing. I just think that over the long term, um, that uh, that little bit of uh, metal tubing in there that it was compressing on would probably hold it in place 
better over a longer period of time. Yeah, no, I like that idea, and I, I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna look into that. And I've got I think I've got some stuff at work that I might be able to snag out of the scrap bin and and uh, and make that happen with. Um, in any in any case, uh, they're definitely I'm definitely gonna strengthen the front side of that. Uh, no matter what, I mean, it's just what you know, sixteen gauge sheet metal or something. I mean, it's, oh, it's there's really, really thin. not much to it. Yeah, it's it's just thin sheet metal. So I'm I'm gonna beef that up in any case, and uh, and there may be a tube that ends up going through the whole the whole thing after everything's all said and done anyway. So right. So that was fun. I also uh, had a a a check gauges light come on. Um, the the tail part of last week, I've been pulling a stop light. And, uh, and at idle, the oil pressure will just dive through the floor and, and, you know, having, having just done an oil change recently, I'm, you know, I can't help but think, oh, geez, is there something that I didn't do? Did I not tighten a bolt down? Did I forget to, you know, screw on the oil filter properly? Uh, you know, something along those lines, you know, is it my fault? And, uh, of course not, of course <laughs> not, you know, <laughs> how dare you? Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I, the oil frequently and the level is fine okay so that you know there's got to be something else going on i know it's not the actual oil level there's something else going on with my four liter that is causing this light to pop on and i've i've had this issue before where it um it was the oil pressure sending unit so i uh i took apart the in my mind i've got a, a late model cherokee as i said in the opening of the show and i've so i've got a uh, and i've got the the uh, instrument cluster that has the actual gauges on it so I can see what my oil pressure is. I don't have just the idiot light. And so I, um, I, I look at the plug. It's got a three position plug on the, uh, on the, you know, outside of that, um, that sending unit, that oil pressure switch. And I pop open that plug and sure enough, it's just coated with oil. Uh, and so what's happening is, is after a, a period of time, these oil pressure sending units, uh, basically what they do is they, they just, they've got a little, uh, a diaphragm inside of them, which sees the, the pressure of the crankcase oil and, and sends that via an electronic signal to the ECU or the PCM or, or, or whatever, and tells that, that, that gauge on the instrument cluster to read a, read a certain level according to what that, that, uh, that switch is doing. So, um, that diaphragm ends up wearing out after time or, uh, some particulate, some little bit of uh, debris or something like that will puncture it, and you'll get blow-by. Basically, the oil will go straight through that pressure switch and into the plug, and you'll get, obviously, all kinds of funky readings at that point, which is what was happening in my case. So that got swapped out, and I figured out oh, what the hell. I, I went ahead and uh, swapped out my plugs as well, just for grins and giggles. I went ahead and, and pulled a couple of uh, spark plugs, take a look at them. I hadn't done that in a while, and they weren't too terribly bad. A little bit of uh, dry carbon fouling pretty typical for how long they've been in there. So I, uh, I freshened up the plugs and the oil pressure sending unit and, uh, beefed up the, uh, the track bar hardware a little bit and then, uh, back on the road. Well, that was simple. Yeah. Not, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no major overhaul or, or engine swap or, or axle rebuilding or anything like that. Uh, you know, all pretty simple stuff when it comes down to it. And, and, uh, you know, this is the type of stuff that, that uh, any of you Cherokee owners out there that can change your own own oil can do this kind of stuff. It's, you know, unscrewing something, screwing something else in is basically the gist of it. Man, that's about as basic as you can get, I guess. But that was a, uh, you know, I'm really surprised. I've never heard of one uh, leaking into the, um, through the, I guess there's a diaphragm in there, and I, I've never heard of one leaking in there like that. 
Well, it happened to me once before, and uh, the last time was was pretty bad. I mean, the, the entire plug was dripping with oil. It wasn't just the the unit itself, which is the the actual oil pressure sending units won't leak themselves. It's very rare for them to. They they come um, out of the box with a good amount of thread sealant on them. Uh, this is something that screws into the block. So unless you know you really screw up and you cross thread one that's in there, uh, there's a very slim chance that it's going to actually the the mechanical switch itself is going to be leaking. The housing itself is going to be leaking. It's going to be what the the internals of it. That are going to be leaking, so and that and that's what happened to me last time. Is 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 basically the same thing. Is is that that internal diaphragm? What what separates the actual oil from the 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 switch part, the the part that is sending electronic electronic signal back to the rest of the vehicle for the instrument cluster? Um, you know, gets punctured, otherwise fails, and oil's passing through that. And you know, I mean, you've got I think it's you know 50 psi or something like that at at a you know a good clip. Uh, of oil being pressed into that, you know, being uh, spewed into that switch, you know, that's going to go right into that plug and, and fill up rather rather quickly if that thing fails. Oh, yeah. Well. So, in that, yeah, I was, I was glad to swap that out. And, and, of course, my oil pressure is reading nice and steady now. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm once again happy and, and, uh, and satisfied and I'm glad the Jeep is back on the road without any warning lights. Yes, yes, yes. And it's nice to... Uh... Nice to know what your oil pressure is and not wonder about it. That's one of the scariest things to see whenever the oil pressure drops to zero on a on an engine because by all rights, it's, uh, the engine's getting ready to uh, lock up uh, or something's getting ready to come, come apart at that point. Well, you know, the first thing you do is if something like that happens is, is you pull over and, and immediately check your oil. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, with the dipstick, not your finger. And, um, you know, so I that you know i mean as soon as the the first light i came up to and it was weird is that in the mornings i didn't have that issue when i get into the jeep in the morning and it's you know it's really freezing cold out here right now um the oil pressure would hold steady and so i think it was just because that there was a pinhole leak in there the metal was cold enough and had contracted enough that when it was cold, I got a good reading but as it got up to operating temperature that metal opened up a little bit the oil got hot it got viscous enough that it you got that blow by and that's when the actual you know the switch the 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 sending unit was starting to fail so once everything got warmed up oil up a little bit is when and I, you know i get up to a to a stoplight the rpms drop so did the oil pressure or you know so i thought and uh that's when i started noticing it so the first time that happened i immediately you know pulled into the the next available driveway uh, you know, at a commercial place and, um, I checked the oil and I was, I was happy to see that I had plenty of oil. So I knew it wasn't that I was leaking, you know, copious amounts of fluid somewhere, or, you know, that my engine was at the risk of freezing up on me. Well, but you, it could always be the, the oil pump. You, you can have plenty of, uh, of, of oil in the, the crankcase, but if the oil pump is not doing what it's supposed to do, um, then, you know, obviously that could be an issue and still cause uh, problems with the engine. So checking the oil certainly is, is one thing you can do, but uh, unless you can verify the oil pressure, it's almost it's almost worth putting a, a mechanical oil gauge uh, underneath the hood someplace. You know, I've seen, uh, I've seen some early model Cherokees, uh, Cherokee owners do that, uh, where they've got, you know, an autometer type gauge, you know, sitting on the A-pillar, and one of those super thin little tubes going out to the engine compartment 
um, that you know you see the engine you know, you, you, uh, you know the engine gets fired up and you see that line fill with oil real quick, and it's yeah it's a mechanical oil pressure gauge. Well, I, I, I'm kind of thinking about uh, actually having one under the hood. That way, if oh, you if you, oh. if you nick the line or something, you're not sprayed with oil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you what shouldn't be you shouldn't be uh, juggling knives uh, while you're driving anyway. But uh, things happen. Yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm definitely a proponent of of knowing what's going on with your vehicle. I mean, that's why I've um, I was very happy when I bought this Cherokee to see that it it had the instrument cluster. That had all the gauges on it and not just the, you know, the, the warning lights. Right. And so I, you know, and I like having the tachometer and everything there as well. And, and, uh, you know, I'm a gearhead. I like seeing that kind of stuff anyways. And I, I saw, I saw you and, and some other guys recently post up some stuff online, uh, some screenshots of your torque, um, displays. Uh, it's where the, uh, the, the Bluetooth OBD2 diagnostics, um, real-time reading device type of thingamajig. That, yes. That's some really cool stuff, by the way. Yeah, it's it's very handy. I, I, I'd just be afraid that I'd get in a wreck or something like that because I'd be my eyes would be glued to that display, seeing all that information uh, you know, being fed to me all at once in real time. I, I'd, I'd be hard-pressed to take my eyes off of it. I wish they, and I may send a, a message to the author of that software, I wish there was a way that it would record the data for you and then you could actually... Uh, look at it on a spreadsheet or something. Um, now there is some there is some software on a laptop that I have that will do that, but um, you know it's kind of hard to set the lap, laptop up in the Jeep and uh, collect information for a while. Um, I, I need to do it, but it's not as easy as it is, is, is as it is with the the smartphone. I just take the wife for a drive around the uh, around the state for a little bit, pop her and say, "Honey, we're going on a road trip," you know. <laughs> bring yourself a day pack and uh, go for a drive and have her hold the laptop for a little while. Yeah. Try that. See how that works for you. Then, then let me know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, geez. Well, Hey, I got some, uh, I got some stuff here. I got some news. Uh, we've been, we've been reporting on some stuff that's been going on in the Jeep world. Um, lately there's, uh, there's been some talks of, um, of Jeep making some, uh, making some moves and opening up a, a factory elsewhere or, or there's been a uh, talks of a relationship with um, with an Italian car maker and now a Chinese car maker and and there's there's been all kinds of buzz of some, of Jeep making some serious moves and it's all stemming around um, what happened in 2012 or 2012 uh, they had a, a banner year a record sales year and Jeep sold more units uh, in in 2012 um, than they than they had since 1999 which was their previous record year and which is all fine and dandy that's great that's good news. Um, and but it, it was uh, I guess what is going on is that Jeep hasn't been able to to make enough vehicles, and a lot of this is going around the Wranglers. Now I know we're all Cherokee owners here, um, Tony. I know you own a uh, a Wrangler. Uh, you got one in your family. I don't have one of mine as of yet, but um, there's I'm sure a lot of our listeners that own a Wrangler in one form or another. Well, in 2012, Jeep sold over 200,000 Wranglers, uh, which is more than ever before. Uh, the problem was is that they could have sold easily another um, 15,000 more units, uh, 15,000 more Wranglers. They had that many uh, orders go unfulfilled. Wow. And as, as some of you may know, virtually all Wranglers that are sold on this planet come out of Ohio. There's a, uh, there's a plant there uh, that is pretty much manufacturing all of the Jeep Wranglers, um, the, the current model year, rather. So... The problem is, is, is that they're, they're running two, 
two full-time shifts. Their factories are, are going 110%, and they're, um, they're not able to, to pump out enough Cherokees uh, to supply the, the global demand. And that's, that's kind of what, what is going on here is Jeep is like, okay, they're, you know, the, the sales of Jeep Cherokee or of, of geez, Jeep Wranglers um, is, is becoming such in high demand worldwide uh, where, you know, they're seeing decline of other vehicle lines, um, even in like in Europe, where demand for, uh, for the Jeep Wrangler is going up steadily. So in order to fulfill um, the, this global demand for the Jeep Wrangler, um, they're, they're really looking at some other options. And one of those was uh, with a, um, a relationship with Fiat and a, uh, a factory that isn't really producing at capacity right now and has the kind of tooling that would be required to make the Jeep Wrangler. Now, Ohio, for those of you who um, passed your geography class, is a landlocked state, meaning that there's, there's, no, there's no ocean around it. And that makes it very hard to ship globally the Wranglers that a factory is producing. So um, that's why they're, they're looking at, at either adding to or moving the, um, the, uh, the, the manufacturing of the Jeep Wrangler to another factory. So um, that's something that we'll, we'll keep our eye on uh, as things develop there. I guess um, the, the, nothing is set in stone yet, but what is set in stone is that the Jeep Liberty is no more. They have put the Jeep Liberty to rest. And uh, next year, it will be replaced with another vehicle. Uh, we don't know what exactly, um, but there's, uh, there's words that it's going to be an import, uh, a Jeep import from Europe of a subcompact. So possibly, potentially, a new line coming out uh, with Jeep. Well, actually, there will be a new line because um, 2014 is going to be the final year for both the Compass and the Patriot. The Jeep Compass and the Jeep Patriot will not be made after 2014. They will be replaced with a single model in 2015. We don't know what that is yet. I'm sure we'll see that in the Detroit Auto Show um, next year. So we'll see what's going on with that. Um, some good news, though, uh, kind of sort of Cherokee-related. As you guys know, uh, the Jeep Grand Cherokee has won more awards than any other um, SUV ever and uh, in in any out of any vehicle that Jeep has ever made. Um, so that that is awesome, to say the least. At least the uh, Cherokee and the Grand platform is still living on, at least somewhat. As of uh, 2014, they're going to be releasing a 3.0-liter diesel engine with 240 horsepower and a whopping 420 foot-pounds of torque. Yeah, I heard about that the other day. I can't believe I think it was on uh, Dan's uh, the 4x4 podcast they were talking about that. And I couldn't believe the amount of torque that thing was going to have. Yeah, I mean, compared to the horsepower, that is just amazing. So you know that thing is just going to crawl. Yes. And I think they're going to team that with like an eight-speed automatic transmission. You know that thing's going to have a granny gear. And you know I think they're coming with a factory limited slip rear end. If not, you know, I think they may entertain, um, you know, what they're doing in the Rubicons with electronically actuated uh, locking differentials front and rear. I think that would be really cool. Yeah, but come on, what's the point? Have you seen the, the new Grand? It looks like one of those pseudo station wagons that yeah, every, every it's, other it's yuppie's driving. It's a crossover SUV. I mean, it it looks kind of cool. It's definitely no off-road rig, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, if this this engine and all that all that stuff you're talking about needs to be in the Wrangler. Yeah, that would be cool, huh? That would be an amazing rig. 
420 foot pounds of torque in a Wrangler. Oh, oh my goodness. I think would climb a tree. <laughs> and then and then put something in it that's equivalent to an Atlas transmission. Yeah. Yeah. Gee now you're talking. Yes. Uh, you know, maybe that's gonna come. Maybe we'll see that. I mean, I, I'm sure uh with just a little bit of information that I have rolling around in my head about Jeeps, I'm sure there's gonna be much more knowledgeable people knowledgeable people screaming about it. Well, hey, I got to give credit where credit is due. Um, some of this information has been provided by John, pre-runner 1982 on xjtalk.com. He was nice enough to send me a news feed uh, with some of these stories. So uh, big thanks, John. I really appreciate uh, you keeping an eye out and having our back and uh, and being able to supply a little bit of information to the show and helping us uh, put this on. But I've got just one last thing here. The Jeep Cherokee, that's right, the XJ, the Jeep Cherokee has recently been in publication in JP Magazine. Uh, they were talking about uh, taking the throttle bodies off of the 4-liter Cherokees and putting it on the 2.5-liter, the four-cylinder Cherokees. Kind of like a, a bored-out throttle body upgrade. Uh, it's an easy swap. I guess you take one from one and you put it on the other. Uh, you want to use the existing uh, idle air control valve and throttle position sensors, things like that. You want to use the existing sensors off the four-cylinder. But I guess, you know, uh, for those of you out there who, who own a four-cylinder Jeep Cherokee, go to the junkyard, spend 35 bucks, get yourself a, a, 50, a stock 58-millimeter throttle body and, uh, and bolt it right on. And it'll be, a, you know, an instant bored-out throttle body almost. Because uh, I think the stock 4-liter throttle bodies are a whopping 52 millimeters. Gotcha. Well, I ordered, uh, actually, I ordered a 63-millimeter uh, 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 bored-out throttle body for my uh, 4.0, for my 98. So Oop. hopefully that'll be coming in pretty soon. And uh, I'm going to bolt that thing on and see if it makes any changes. Well, yeah, I'm definitely going to be anxious to hear the report on that. I think that's about the last thing that I, I need to do as far as the uh, the intake and fuel and exhaust system uh, goes. As the it's the one choke point in the in the whole uh, in the whole line of things. I've got a uh, you know a high flow intake. Um, I've got a uh, I, I took care of that kink in the downpipe. I've got aftermarket headers. I've got a, a high flow cat and a uh, and an aftermarket cat back exhaust. So. Um, the one thing that I'm missing out of that whole line is is the throttle body. I, I'd like to step that up in, in diameter and see what it does. Yep. Well, I have uh, the upgraded injectors, uh, the 99 to 2001 uh, intake manifold, and also have uh, the, uh, I guess you would call it a mid-range uh, crane cam in uh, the new engine. So um, with uh, with all the mods, I'm, I'm thinking I need to get a little more air into there. But uh, like I said, we'll see. We'll see if it makes a difference. Wouldn't Hoyt. Yeah, I, well, I don't know. That's but I'm I'm not trading in my old. Uh, I'm not sending sending them a core, so I will uh, maintain my. Uh, I'll have both throttle bodies, so I'll be able to go back and forth. And they're so easy to change back and forth. It, it, uh, I may uh, run the the new one for a while and see if I see any uh, Im- improvements in uh, anything that shows up in torque, uh, seat of the pants, or gas mileage. So the question I'm sure that's on everybody's mind, Tony, is did you get it in red anodized? No, they didn't have it that way. I wasn't that concerned. Uh, I don't drive around with the hood off. <laughs> well, for I figured, you know, for your for your own liking and, and peace of mind and, and uh, you know, tie everything else in, you, I figured you probably would have gone with a red anodized. Red is, is very pretty, very sexy. For those of you guys who don't know, red is Tony's uh, favorite color, and and if it was up to him, it would probably be the only color that Jeep would have made a vehicle in. 
Ooh, red jeeps are sexy. Yes, yes, they are. <laughs> this is Dan from the 4x4 podcast, and you're listening to the XJ Talk Show. Hey, folks, you heard recently about how I needed some extra parts for the Jeep for a quick repair, and a local salvage yard was really there to help me out. It was 205 Auto Salvage. They've been there for me in the past, and I look forward to them being there for me in the future. If you'd like to get the same kind of customer service I did, be sure to give them a call. And when you do, make sure you mention the XJ Talk Show for a 10% discount. That's right, folks, 10% off of anything you buy at 205 Auto Salvage. You just got to mention, you heard it here on the XJ Talk Show. 205 Auto Salvage, 503-256-3232, or go to www.205autosalvage.com. So uh, why don't you tell the guys what we're going to be doing here? Uh, we spoke about it last uh, last week, I believe, uh, talking about uh, the Jeep sites that are being uh, purchased up by uh, non-Jeep owners, uh, companies that uh, don't seem to have anything to do with uh, any kind of Jeep affiliation. Well, as of uh, last summer, and this is when I, I really started to get my finger on the pulse of this, um, there, there's been a rumor going around that there is a, a conglomerate of some kind or another, a large company that is going around and buying all these Jeep sites. Uh, and they're making some, some serious changes to these sites as well, from what I understand. Now, whether it is one company or a group of companies, whether they're all under you know, the umbrella of a big parent company, you know, that, that's something that, that has been in discussion for a little while now. And the buzz has been going around the interwebs um, for quite a bit, mind you. I'm, I'm a member of several websites, um, Jeep sites, that uh, that this has been brought up on. And we're talking pages and pages and pages of discussions about this very topic. And because um, XJTalk.com had been approached at one point in time by either this company or one of these companies that is doing this, um, this you know we figured this would be a good time and, um, and a good point of discussion to start talking about this and open up the dialogue a little bit about what is going on um, with this whole you know recent line of acquisitions by this by this company. So um, we're going to go ahead and take some live calls. Um, we're not going to be call, having people call in because, well, we don't have the big fancy budgets like an FM <laughs> radio station does. So we don't have call screeners. We don't have fancy phone systems and stuff like that. So we put out there uh, into the interwebs a few feelers, and we got a few people that are willing to participate in this discussion. And we're going to go ahead and give these folks a call tonight and um, and sort of open up this discussion a little bit about these companies purchasing Jeep sites and how that's affecting other people and what this all means. Yeah, and we have uh, Steve, uh, 4.3 LXJ. You know him from Jeep Tips, and uh, if you frequent the xjtalk.com uh, website, you know him from answering lots of your technical questions about the uh, about the Jeep uh Cherokee and uh, gosh, Grand, uh, all kinds, the Mighty Might, all kinds of things. Steve, uh, are you there with us? I'm here. Thanks for joining us tonight, and uh, thanks for being part of this discussion. Well, it's good to be here, Tony. So, so Steve, tell us a little bit about what you've heard, what you know, your experience with this. Um, what have What have you discovered in all this about this uh, website or this this company buying up these uh, these Jeep sites? Well, I'm a member of several forums. Besides uh, XJ Talk, uh, one of them is Cherokee Talk, and, and Tony's familiar with Cherokee Talk. He used to be active on that website also. Um, that particular uh, forum spun off from uh, Cherokee Forum for various reasons, and, uh, and I joined it uh, sometime after it was started, and uh, I don't know, I've got 
several thousand posts on there over the years. Um, the owner that uh, established it, Kyle, sold it to a, uh, a large company. And when he did, uh, they, uh, the company put a guy in charge of it who actually owned an XJ. And it wasn't too bad. He tried to do some things, you know, to, to make it uh, a decent uh, uh, forum still and, and keep it the way it was. Um, and then he added some things over time uh, that the company had come up with as far as as features. They, they wrote software for it and so forth. And then uh, that company, for whatever reasons, sold uh, Cherokee Talk to another company who now owns it. And uh, there is no uh, uh, person there that I know of, at least is, has anything to do with the forum, that actually owns a, a Jeep of any kind. Um, and, you know, it was kind of a rough transition. There was a lot of complaints and so forth. Um, some things have improved, but basically it's just down to uh, a company owns a website and, and they're milking it for what they can. And uh, uh, it's really kind of up to the moderators to uh, make sure that the, the place kind of stays the same. Uh, you know, free help is what it amounts to. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't they remove uh, some features uh, like, uh, I don't know, what was it, the garage, uh, a couple other things that... Uh, um, yeah, they, they did. Uh, the garage is back. They, they have the guy that uh, is assigned to it. Uh, Philip is his name uh, has tried to uh, bring some of the things back, but, but they're not all back. Um, they're, uh, he may be still working on some things. I don't know. Um, you can complain to him and he'll try to fix some things. Uh, sometimes not in a timely manner. Uh, well, but, I, I'm sure it's not the only website he has to uh, take care of. Oh, I have the impression he has a bunch of them to take care of. Um, they, you know, there, there's a staff there. I know um, it, it's just not Philip. Uh, there's a staff, and they have meetings, and they uh, just like any other business. Uh, they when they have a staff meeting, the stuff comes up. They talk about it. They vote, uh, I guess, or somebody makes a an executive decision and uh, that's the way it is um, the uh, you know the, but there's still several things that haven't come back you know like uh, one of the things that we used to do there the same as on XJ talk you could uh, click on a little uh, button on the avatar and you could see what people were running for equipment there's nothing like that now uh, you can't tell what anybody's running if you want to answer a technical question uh, you know you just have to ask them Hey, what do you got? <laughs> you know, uh, so from a technical aspect, which is one of my favorite parts of the forum, uh, it makes it hard for me to, to respond to uh, any technical questions like that. And, and to be honest with you, uh, uh, the kinds of questions that are answered are not answered at the same level that they are on our forum. Right. You know, from, from my experience. And, uh, uh, and as a result, I think there's less technical questions asked on that forum now than there ever used to be. Well, let me ask you this. We deal with companies every day, uh, whether we go to Sears to buy a battery or discount tires to buy tires. Uh, you know, we, we deal with big corporations every day. So, uh, you know, I guess in the big uh, scheme of things, 
having a company own a website isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, I almost kind of feel that this might be kind of like uh, whenever there's a small town and there's a lot of mom and pop places where you know the people that work there, uh, you know the people that own the own the uh, the stuff, and they have a vested interest in uh, the community. And then Walmart or something comes in, and it's a big corporation. You can you can get things cheaper, usually better. Uh, maybe not the quality better, but um, better as far as pot price performance goes. So maybe that's what's rubbing me the wrong way about this is is that uh, I, I like the aspect of when I go to a Jeep site. I'm going to a Jeep site that is somebody that's there that cares about the 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 Jeeps. Hopefully, they care about the members too. But you know, they've got a vested interest in the Jeep. They own one. They they want to share information or they want to gain information. And I just get the it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Do you get kind of a a bad feel for the company uh, owning this, or or is it just there's they've removed some items that you'd like to see put back? And and other than that, it's no big deal. Well, there's, uh, you know, from, from my standpoint, there, there's several aspects, uh, to this, I suppose. Uh, one is, is that, uh, um, I don't feel, you know, as much a part of that forum. I've been on it a long time, uh, as here. Uh, and, and one of the things is when, uh, when a company like that buys a forum, uh, they like to uh, have financial incentives because it's a business to uh, uh, in, in order to attract income. And um, a lot of the things that we take for granted on XJ Talk, such as chat uh, or uh, uh, you know some of some of the other things that we normally take for granted, uh, like, uh, you can have between uh, supporting members if you want, uh, not that we have a lot of it, but you can still do that. Uh, and, and so forth. Those kinds of things go on in the background and I never see those because I never became a supporting member of that particular website. So, um, the, the level of, uh, of interaction and camaraderie and so forth, that we have on XJ Talk that's available to everybody. Uh, you know, you can get in as everybody knows. It's on our site, and for those that don't, um, if you make a post someplace in something, even if it's just to say hello, how are you, or I turned a wrench on my Jeep today, or something, um, that that entitles you to uh, post in chat. And uh, there's all kinds of uh, humorous banter that goes back and forth every day on chat. And those kinds of things are not available in these particular websites unless you buy into them for a particular membership. Um, it's that way. Uh, I know for a fact on another website that I'm a member of called Jeep Forum, for instance, um, if I want to pay for a membership, I can have certain privileges. I can uh, buy into a raffle if I want to and, you know, this, that, and the other. Uh, and on XJ Talk, you just don't have that kind of requirement. Uh, whenever Tony decides that uh, he wants to have a giveaway, uh, everybody's eligible. You don't have to kick in money to the website in order to be eligible for a giveaway. And, you know, those kinds of things, uh, I think, more than features, um, 
are what would make XJ Talk a, a much better forum than the other forums that I'm a member of. And, uh, you know, from a, as I mentioned, from a technical aspect, I prefer this forum better. It's easier for me to interact because of the, uh, uh, the features that you put in here to make it easy to do that. Well, I'm sure the list is long as to, you know, what makes xjtalk.com better than all the other websites, um, <laughs> you know, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I'm wondering if, if the changes, you know, or the things that, you know, you see on xjtalk.com or you don't see on some of these other sites like Jeep Forum uh, or like Cherokee Talk, for instance, are because of these, these acquisitions from this other company or, or in the case of, um, of Cherokee Talk, I'm wondering if it was just a sort of change of hands. If the guy who started it got it to where he was comfortable with it, or if you know somebody had made an offer on it, and you know at this point he was he was ready to move on, and so he sold it to the next you know the next interested party. I'm wondering if that party was the same as the one that is that has made these recent acquisitions with some of these other larger sites, like G Forum, for instance. Uh, from what I understand, my research, G Forum was recently purchased by a company called Vertical Scope. And uh, Vertical Scope has a partner called AutoGuide, and I think they're 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 sort of it's it's the same division of the or different divisions of the same company, and they um they've bought in Cherokee Forum, Wrangler Forum, I think Pirate Four x Four is on there as well, but Jeep Forum um is one of their is one of their more recent acquisitions as well, and uh and I'm a member of Jeep Forum as well. I'm a paying member there, have been for for quite some time. Um, it was one of the first sites that I went to, uh, looking for information for my Jeep. And, uh, and although I spend the majority of my time on xjtalk.com, uh, you know, it hasn't, hasn't directly affected my, my inner, you know, my interaction with Jeep forum. Uh, but it, I mean, it sounds like the changes were, were, you know, extensive and vast across the board with Cherokee or with a Cherokee talk. Uh, but I'm wondering if it, if it was the same company that, that made that purchase. Uh, I think Autoglide is the one that produced uh, or that that uh, snapped up uh, Cherokee Talk this last time around. Uh, the The issue there with with the acquisition was that there there was a difference in interest. Um, when when Kyle started Cherokee Talk, uh, he spun off of Cherokee Forum for various reasons. Uh, Kyle. Kyle's a smart boy. He's a PhD type guy, and he's—I think he's got his doctorate now, and and he's off doing other things. But Kyle did own a uh, a Cherokee, and he he's, he was down in the Bay Area uh, at the time, uh, San Francisco Bay Area. I should uh, say that to us, it's just a Bay Area here in California. There is only one, but uh, anyway, uh, he got it up, and he used several little gimmicks to. Uh, Get his post count up, and, and when he did, he peddled it at the right time, and and, uh, and then moved on. Uh, when the next company bought it, uh, the guy, as I said, the guy that was in charge of Cherokee Talk actually had a Cherokee, and and he was active on the forum. Now he wasn't a major player in the forum, but you could see him there, and and uh, he had an avatar with a white Cherokee and. And uh, he would make some comments and, and so forth, but uh, you know he wasn't holding the forum up with by making a huge post count. But he was in touch with it, and and he knew about the interest. And as such, even though he was a member of a larger company and, and was 
just drawing a paycheck to oversee this thing. Um, he did add some features to it that, that he thought about and he queried the membership about and so forth. So there was a personal interest there. The, the difference now is, is when this latest company acquired it, none of that proprietary stuff that this guy came up with went to uh, the new company. So it, it got a very stripped down version of uh, the software and, and there was all kinds of problems with members lists and uh, photos disappeared and, and all kinds of stuff. And what, what has come about now is even though uh, Philip has tried to uh, rectify problems as they come up, uh, there's still the fact that, that Philip doesn't have a Jeep and he doesn't have an interest in it. Yeah, I think you're going to see that, um, you know, more and more as as time goes on. Uh, you know, Cherokee owners are are becoming, uh, you know, fewer and fewer. Um, but uh, you know, it's 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 bound to happen, especially when you're looking at at uh, you know something like you know websites and these these larger form, especially a larger form like you know Jeep form or something changing hands, especially when you're looking at an acquisition from a large company like this. Well, oh, hey, yeah. Steve, thank, thanks for the information. Really appreciate you, you calling in or, uh, you know, allowing us to call you, rather, and, and participating in the show. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to do this again soon. All right. Catch you later. All right. Bye-bye, buddy. For nearly a decade, Jeep Tubes has been providing the do-it-yourself for the largest selection of builder parts and pre-bent tubing solutions for any project. With the highest level of customer support and a 100% customer satisfaction rating, people from around the world have been turning to Jeep Tubes for their builds. From Cherokees to CJs and virtually every model of Wrangler, Jeep Tubes has bumpers to battery boxes, armor, fenders, and even cage kits, aft doors, rock sliders, and the best tire carrier spindles on the market. For the mild or extreme off-road enthusiasts, let Jeep Tubes help you bring your ride to the next level. Call the owner directly, 971-678-2585 or visit jeeptubes.com. Hey folks, we got we got another person here um, that uh, was willing to uh, to participate today. Um, his name is Bobby, and uh, and he's from another forum that has actually had a a personal um, a personal stake in all this. Uh, uh, Bobby, are you on the line? Yes, sir. Excellent. Hey, buddy, thanks for uh, thanks for letting us contact you this evening. Uh, you're a member of NAXJA, N-A-X-J-A, Am I right? Yes, sir. And uh, and as you guys may know uh, or may not know, um, Naxja was on the radar of this vertical scope, and they've been approached several times. In fact, as recently as last month. Oh, I bet the they have. <laughs> that's and, a, uh, and they, that's they, just... yeah, I guess they've been they've been approached, and and uh, the offer's been turned down, uh, just like uh, XJTalk.com, which we're glad to hear as well. I'm trying to keep these sites in the hands they originally were started by. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. So, uh, Bobby, tell us a little bit about uh, about about all that, uh, what you know about it, and in your experience, and uh, and anything else that you've you've heard or or have found uh, online about this whole thing. Well, I, I just happened to notice it when uh, when I was looking through the the minutes. Uh, I'm fairly new to the next forums, and uh, just kind of reading through the uh, the board of directors, uh, board of directors minutes, and just kind of seeing what was going on. And I noticed, just happened to notice that they said. Purchase offer from from Vertical Scope has been declined, and as soon as I saw that name, it rang a bell. Um, I've also got a car that I tinker around with, 
And I've been a part of a message board for that group since May of 2004. And it was a local, you know, it was an enthusiast owned, the guy who owned the forums and set everything all up. He had one of the cars. He did a lot of work with them. Uh, he was one of us. And a couple of years ago, he kind of started losing interest. And uh, just up out of the blue one day, all of a sudden, there's an announcement that says, hey, our forum's been purchased by Vertical Scope. Here's your new leaders or whatever. And, all of a sudden, and we were all kind of blindsided by it. And I kind of did some research on Vertical Scope at the time. And I've just seen so many different angles of what they've done to different websites. I've seen from one end to the other of they either buy a website and either completely basically just abandon it and don't even pay attention to it, or they completely change everything. And so it was like, hey, what's going on with this? You know, all of a sudden our forum's getting bought out, and what's going to happen? Uh, thankfully, that, our that forum didn't really get changed a lot. But, is that uh, happened with, uh, with that automotive forum that, that you yeah. were a member of uh, since 2004, that they were purchased by Vertical Scope, and was there was there a, a massive amount of changes that happened? No, not really. I mean, they they, uh, they seemed pretty content with uh, with the admin group and everybody that was in place. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty small group. Uh, there's only, honestly, on an active basis, there's maybe 100 to 150 of us. There's very, very, a very, very small group. And so... They kind of took a hands-off approach. They were kind of there to kind of help with, like, the web hosting and that kind of thing. So I was thankful for that, that they didn't really change a whole lot. Uh, but I've done research and looked into their group, and they've done completely the other way around, too. So I guess it kind of depends on how big the group is and whether they think they can make waves or whatever with changing things. Well, in my, in my just, research... I just like the idea of them being just enthusiasts, though, and that, that was what was so neat about the other forum was, you know, the guy who ran the site, everyone who owned the site, owned one of those cars. They had an interest in them. And it just kind of seems like that's been lost in the last couple of years since the forum was sold. Hey, Bobby, this is Tony. Um, I uh, thank you again for being on the show. Um, also, I guess it's kind of the point that I was getting to, and one of the reasons why Josh and I wanted to bring this subject up to the to the, the listeners. It almost seems like it's uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing when a corporation owns something, but you lose that that feel of I'm dealing with somebody that cares about the same thing I care about. And, yeah, exactly. And I, and I don't know if it's if it's a tangible thing or if it's just a, one of those I just don't like it things. Uh, on on the the face of it, it rubs me the wrong way hearing that a corporation is buying up a Jeep site. It, it like I, on a previous call or on a previous caller, I was liking it to a small town where you know everybody at the mom and pop shops, and then Walmart moves in. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's the way you're kind of taking it, or it's just a a bad thing. You look at it as it was a a bad move, or it really you don't like it, but it was uh, it, it really didn't make that big a difference. Well, I mean, I understood why the guy ended up selling the forum. I mean, he was kind of losing interest. Uh, I just kind of would have liked to have seen, because it is such a small group, that there, there's no money to be made there by, you know, boatloads of Google ads or you know, having no PB or sponsor or whatever, you know. There wasn't really any money to be made, I guess, with it, just kind of from my view. Uh, but I was actually, there's another forum that I participate on. It's a sister platform to that car that kind of had the same thing. The guy who owned the forum was kind of losing interest, 
And instead, uh, I guess he had had some offers from Vertical Scope, but he decided that he wanted to keep the enthusiast feel. So he found a group of members of the site who all agreed to buy the site. So it's still, it's got new life to it. You know, they, there's more people who are more active and trying to make sure the web hosting is all up to date, but there's still people who everyone knows. It's not just some outside third party that everyone's like, wait, who's that? You know, I just kind of would have liked to have seen, in that case, it stay local, local to the group. Well, that's one thing that XJ Talk has going on, uh, you know, in in its favor. And another, you know, same thing with uh, North American XJ Association is is there's definitely, I mean, with uh, for instance with, with NAXJA, I mean, it's all by chapters, and so you've got you know these these neighborhoods, these local areas of of people with similar uh, interests that you you get to know. And and with XJTalk.com and, and the XJ Talk Show, I mean, we're we're all a big one happy family here, uh, so to speak. Whereas a company like Vertical Scope and, and AutoGuide, I mean, they, they've, uh, I think there are over 400 websites right now that they own. And 360 of them are, uh, are automotive related. And so they're, you know, they're, it's, you know, putting some numbers behind what Tony was talking about earlier uh, in that, you know, there's, there's just too much, they're spread way too thin to have that, that personal feel um, that you, is probably what's going to happen with these, you know, with acquisitions like this, you're going to lose that personal feel. I've heard people talking about um, how Cherokee Forum has changed. Uh, you know, it went from, you know, what it what it was to, you know, now it's it's almost more ads than there are posts. And that's what this company does is is they are an advertising conglomerate. They buy these sites and they are selling the advertising uh, through these sites because of the amount of traffic that is on them. And that is how they're selling this advertising. They're going to these people, uh, you know, whoever the the advertiser may be, and saying, you know, look, we've got um, this website in this demographic, in this area, in this genre that has this many clicks or this many views per day, uh, you know, and it's it's underneath their their ownership. And so that's that's how they're doing this whole thing. It's just a shame that it's happening to to you know us Jeep owners. I think what's funny and and my case anyway with the one site that got bought by Vertical Scope is the ads that we started seeing and the quote unquote approved vendors were people like Nopi, um, Car ID, Discount Tire, just real generic. Uh, none of those companies even sold anything specific for that model of car. So it just seemed kind of silly. That's why I don't. That's why I was like, there's not really any money to be made there because. None of your parts that you're trying to sell through your vendors or whatever, or anything that we have any interest in. So now, Bobby, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. I, I thought that I had read something about that you had actually had some conversation with one of these people from Vertical Scope. Is that right? No, no, I haven't talked to anybody from Vertical okay. Scope. Okay, it, may, it was probably somebody else then. I, I I read a post somewhere, and I, I I'm sorry, I'm I, I mistake, uh, mistook it as as being you, but um, where they had they were talking to the vice president of that of that company uh, about this, and and the guy was just a, a sales robot basically. He was talking about how how the guy was just you know he wouldn't take no for an answer, and and you know they kept turning down the offer, and he kept saying, well, what about this or what about that, you know? And they were like, you know, no, you you don't get it. And and the guy just kept hitting them, and I you know I guess uh, you know NAXJA has been approached several times, and uh, they just don't want to seem to take no for an answer, and I, I think it's because 
uh, sites like xjtalk.com and, and, and naxja.org are, are such um, huge sites when it comes to the Jeep Cherokee world and, and Jeeps in general. It, it's a huge attraction. It's like, a, it's like a moth to a flame. But hey, uh, Bobby, yeah, thanks for being part of I remember seeing that post, too. I can't remember who said that, but I think it was somebody who's, I think it might have been somebody in the board of directors that, that had those communications, and I think I saw it in the minutes three months in a row, it said another offer from Vertical Scope was declined. So, yeah, they don't seem to like to take no for an answer. Well, I just hope it doesn't get to the point of where, you know, this company starts, you know, putting offers on the table that are, you know, almost too good to be, you know, to pass up. Uh, you know, an offer too good to refuse, so to speak, you know, taking a line from uh, the Godfather. But, uh, you know, it's, it's hopefully, you know, I know Tony's going to hold out. Uh, you know, if he doesn't, uh, we all know where he lives. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, 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 that Naxja and, and, uh, and of course, xjtalk.com, you know, they, they stay in the, in the ownership where they're at because it really, it makes it, uh, it makes it what it is. Obviously, you know, the changing of, of, of ownership has had an effect on some sites, maybe not so much on some others. In some regards, it's not necessarily a bad thing. In some regards, it can be. Um, you know, so there's two sides of this coin, uh, and it can go either way. Uh, and hopefully, um, you know, we don't, we don't find out, um, you know, which way it goes if uh, the coin falls on the acquisition side. Hey, Bobby, thanks again for being a part of this, buddy. Really appreciate you coming on and, uh, and allowing us to contact you and, and, uh, and being a part of this. Uh, hopefully, we'll get you on the horn again uh, sometime in the future. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, right, thank, you very, thank you very much, Bobby. I know you've heard us talk about Amazon on the podcast before, but have you heard about our new game? You bought what? It's a lot of fun, and we want you guys to play along. All you have to do is go to xjtalk.com or xjtalkshow.com and click on the Amazon banner there on the main page. This takes you right to Amazon, where you can buy any crazy little thingamajig to join in on the fun. Amazon gives us a list every week of what you guys are buying, but we don't get to know who it is that's buying it. As an added bonus, you get the same great price you always would, and Amazon is going to give the show a small pittance for you playing along. So let's all have some fun. The XJ Talk Show and Amazon.com. Hey, this is Nicole Johnson of Johnson Motorsports, and I am a Monster Jam truck driver, and you're listening to XJ Talk Show. Okay, well, we've got uh, Bear. You know him and love him as uh, 4x4 Dalton on uh, XJTalk.com. And uh, Bear, are you there with us? Yeah. Hey, thanks for uh, being on the show tonight. And uh, if you recall, uh, I know you've been watching the show, listening to the show, So, but I'll just give you a, a quick synopsis. Uh, tonight we're talking about um, the uh, various Jeep sites uh, around the country being purchased by a business, and the business really doesn't have anything to do with Jeeps, and uh, just trying to get some input from uh, some of the guys uh, that are out there visiting these sites. Um, I've been looking at this well, and I've been reading everything about it, and it's to me they've figured out that it's a, that there's a money market in it to me to a point and that they're trying to corner that. And, um, that, that to me just, it's not right. It's taken away from what we as people who own Jeeps and other types of vehicles, we need sites like that where we can get the information that we need. But when people like that take them over, they ruin them and basically turning them into a, almost like a Google site. And yep. that's that's the way I feel about it. Yeah, it, like I was saying earlier, it almost seems like uh, it's a small, ta- small town atmosphere and, and the big corporation is rolling in 
and uh, taking over the product or maybe producing the same product, but there's, there's something a little bit different about it. Something doesn't quite feel right. Yeah, it's just, it's just not, they're not making it a friendly atmosphere or anything that I've seen. Not at all on the sites. It's just, it's more corporate, more business-like, and it's just, it's not like our site. It's not user-friendly more, you might as well say, anymore. So if, it, if you were uh, relating this to uh, a girlfriend or a prostitute, this would be more of a prostitute situation, more mechanical, I, more business-like. <laughs> Pretty hey, much. <laughs> put it into terms everybody can understand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, is, is there any particular f- sites that you've noticed this on? I mean, we've talked about uh, uh, Jeep Forum and Cherokee Talk. Uh, I know about those two being purchased. I don't know if there's others. Um, the Cherokee Forum, I've, I've noticed on that, I've read the threads. Uh, different mods have posted where well, they're leaving and just, you know, they're not really going into detail about it, but if you read between the lines of what they write, you pretty much figure out that they're, the corporate is taking pretty much control of it and they're going to just do away with pretty much everything on the sites. Cherokee Forms is the basic one I've seen it on. So are you talking about they're they're gutting all the moderators and, and anything like that, and it's just going to be kind of a free-for-all with ads? Is, is that what uh, you're saying? What I've read is um, they're basically they're, they're letting people that caused problems back onto the sites, which is you know irritating some moderators because they were the people that banned them to start with, and it's driving the people crazy to the point where they're leaving the site because they have no control over it now. The corporate has taken basic control, and nobody nobody else but them can do anything with the site now. Very interesting. Yeah, because if you if, if somebody's banned from the site, they can't click on the ad. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, they're they're trying to get as many clicks and as many eyes on that site as they can because those are the those are the numbers that are going to help them sell that advertising on said site. And it seems like a Cherokee Forum is is one of the ones I've heard the most negative about, and not not about the website itself, just about the effect that this this purchase has had on the website. And so, I mean, and, and it there may be uh, many layers to this. Uh, one of them, of course, being you know, some troublemakers um, back on the site and, and, and causing the kind of issues that, that caused them to be banned in the first place. Uh, you know, obviously that's going to cause disruptions. It's going to be a ripple effect that goes all the way out. But, you know, what, what, is, what does this company care? You know, they, it's just another number. It's just another screen, another IP address that they're selling um, advertising to. Yeah, it's just, it's, they're not, it's getting to the point where, I mean, it's not going to be, uh, a site nobody's really going to want to go to because they're going to be so corporate. They're, they're just, it's not going to be a site that people are going to want to join. Not that I, no, I don't see it. Well, hey, that just, uh, that just means, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have the doors open and, and be welcoming people over to xjtalk.com. Pretty much. I've noticed here in the past <laughs> month and a half or so that we've had a, we've had a quite a, of people join it. Oh, it's like I've a, been noticing that. 
it's like a tidal wave. It's just amazing how many people were getting joining uh, the site. Uh, we get a few of those uh, spammers, but uh, the the very vast majority are uh, seem to be legitimate uh, individuals that are yeah. joining the site. Well, obviously, uh, you know, we, we definitely have something that these other sites don't, um, as we've had a couple of people say, and, and as it's been mentioned here on the show and as it, it, it's, it's commonly seen in the, in the threads on the website that, that we have a feel that the other websites don't, um, it, it's very welcoming. Obviously there, there's no hating and stuff like that. And the, and the site isn't ad driven, uh, Tony, you're not running this, um, as a, as a site that is, that is ad focused. Um, and, and so that leaves a lot of room for this kind of, of, of camaraderie, this level of, of, uh, of technical expertise that can be shared, um, the kind of, of hate-free posting that goes on uh, on a daily basis. Uh, you know, it's, it's that kind of stuff that's going to separate us from the sites um, like Cherokee Forum or these other sites that have been purchased by, uh, by this uh, the conglomerate vertical scope that is just, you know, doing this as an advertising uh advertising venue. Yeah. I don't know if you guys, uh, understand it. Of course, I don't know if I understand it a hundred percent, but based on uh, what I've learned over the last, uh, well, going on four years in March, basically, if you want to make money off of a website, the, the place to do it or the company to do it with is Google using Google's ads. And the thing to do, you do not get any money from the ad unless somebody clicks on the ad. So, if you uh, if you were running a website and you have um, you know a thousand people that, that frequent the site randomly over a few months and and they may or may not click on those ads, the people that are most likely to click on those ads are new people, new people that just come to the site, they're looking for something, they don't find it or maybe they find it, but they, it's not exactly what they're looking for and they want to go find it someplace else. The easiest thing for them to do is click on that ad. Because Google targets that ad as to what you're, what they're searching for. So there's, it's kind of funny that these companies are buying forums because the, the business model to me isn't as important as supporting the members because you know how it is. Anytime you get used to a website, you know where to look and where not to look for the ads because none of us like ads, none of us like commercials. So we just learn not to look at them. But the new people are the ones that are scanning the entire page, and they are the ones most likely to click on the ad. So there's, to me, in, in, in my mind, there's no reason for a corporation to care about its members. Now, I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying from a, uh, a money-making uh, click-on-the-ad type thing, there's no reason for them to care about their members. And in fact... They'd like for their, those members to, to go away and come back later. Maybe they'll forget about the layout of the site and they're more likely to click on those ads. So that's kind of my take on it. Um, the, I, I kind of got the feeling they were removing functions from the, the website because the, the person that was responsible for that website and 30 others, it's a lot easier if that website set up the exact same way as the other 30 sites. Well, that definitely makes sense. Um, you know, I, it, it may come down to, you know, they've only got room in this site for so much. And, you know, if you get rid of one feature, well, that means that you have, you know, X amount of room now available for this much more advertising. 
uh, you know, and of course, advertising means dollars when it comes to a company like this. Well, that's kind of what I was saying. It, it all goes back to who do you want there? Do you want the people that are returning every every day, every hour, uh, multiple times a day, once a week? Or do you just want them, uh, want somebody new to show up? How can I advertise this out to a mass market? If I can get a million people to come to my site every month, then I'm probably going to get uh, 100,000 clicks or 10,000 clicks. And 10,000 clicks would probably would probably net you a few thousand dollars a month from Google. So you hmm. m- multiply that by 30, like 30 websites all doing the same thing that are that are honed for that that, you know, that money, that money making generation, that clicking stuff. Now you're talking about some serious money that that company is collecting every month from these websites. Oh, I'm sure. So that that to me is their goal. That that is the reason why it's a lot easier to buy popular websites than it is to build a website. So that's that's all they're doing. They're going going around buying popular websites that have a, a lot of people going to it. But I don't think they care about the membership returning. I think that the 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 big thing to them is uh, how many people are showing up and how many clicks is, are going to happen. Well, that kind of uh, raises a question, uh, Bear. Uh, you're kind of like you're kind of like me and Steve. You know, you're you're a person who who goes out there and you know, obviously a member or a person who frequents uh, multiple sites, uh, maybe even in one given day, and maybe a, a member of multiple sites as well. You know, with this kind of stuff going on, are you still going to frequent these other sites that um, that you're a member of as often uh, as you would have? Oh, uh, to be honest with you, no. I mean, if they're going to, they're basically going to be more ad-driven sites and more of a, like a an archive type site. No, I I don't see myself going back to those sites. Do you click on the ads ever? <laughs> what? Do you ever click on those ads? No. See, that's kind of. I don't. I, I very rarely ever click on the ads. See, that's kind of my point, Josh. I think that the people that go there frequently, that they're members or, or, or maybe they just go to that site frequently, they just ignore the ads. Yeah, I was, uh, I, I was, I was wanting to get a, another perspective there to, to solidify your point there in that, yeah, it's, it's, it's the people, the members that you're not going to be generating this ad revenue from. Um, and all, right. all you're going to be looking for is, is these new members, these people who are more likely to click on ads to generate that kind of uh, that kind of revenue but at the same time you know you're going to be driving away guys like bear guys like steve guys like you and me uh, away from these other sites because of the kind of changes that are happening yeah the the iq if you will of the site's going to go down oh absolutely yeah i i see that it's a, a good money making scheme but not a very good forum scheme not very good for the people and keep in mind too you don't care if they're members or not they can be guests because a guest click is worth just as much as a member click. Oh, sure. Hey, Bear, thanks a lot for uh, for being on the show tonight. I hope uh, when I called you, I didn't uh, uh, wake you from uh, asleep or something. You, you sounded almost surprised. No, I was, uh, matter of fact, I was just in here in Matt's shop, just finishing up some stuff. Oh, okay, good. Matt's not there, I know. It's too late no. for him. <laughs> <laughs> no, me and uh, Patrick. Working on his hey, Jeep. Well, hey, uh, tell Patrick we say hello, and uh, we'll get you guys on the horn again uh, sometime soon. We'll talk about some other stuff. Sound good? Yeah, no problem. All right, thanks, Bear. Thanks. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Uh-huh.
Well, hey, folks, there you go. Um, you know, some actual, um, you know, firsthand, uh, firsthand uh, stories from from people who have had uh, had a little bit in this, uh, who, have, who have seen this kind of stuff and have had uh, and had experience with it. Uh, obviously, Tony has had some experience with it uh, personally, being actually talking with these kind of people. Uh, so, you know, that uh, you know, hopefully we don't hear too much more about that. But you know, we want to continue this sort of dialogue, continue this discussion. Uh, and so, you know, keep sending in those uh, those stories. If you have something that you've heard, uh, if you know something, um, you know, by all means, uh, send a private message to either myself, nw99xj at xjtalk.com, uh, or reach out to Tony uh, Mutteroy at xjtalk.com. Uh, send us a private message there. Or feel free to give us a call on our 24-7 voicemail line. We'd love to hear from you guys about this topic or anything about the show. Uh, feel free to call that number. Nobody's ever going to answer that. It's just a voicemail line, and that number is 530-675-4102. That, again, is 530-675-4102. Feel free to call up, leave a message, tell us about the show, or tell us about what you know about these recent acquisitions from Vertical Scope. It just sounded bad. Nobody's ever going to answer you. <laughs> don't call because we don't care. <laughs> no, it's just a no, voicemail no. line. That's what that's what he's trying to say. It's just, it's just voicemail, so you don't have to worry about. Uh, it's it's not like it's like self service at the gasoline station. You don't have to go up and talk to the attendant. You you can just pump your own gas. Yeah, so don't be afraid to uh, to call and just ramble on and on and on. Uh, it's just going to be a machine listening to you. But there's a good chance that uh, we may end up using some of that on the show. And of course, if you don't want that uh, used on the show, by all means, make sure you uh, you put that in the voicemail. Say, hey, uh, you know, I have no problem with you guys using the information. Just don't use my voice on the air. Yep. Well, I think that worked out really well, Josh. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that was uh, that was neat to get. I mean, these were people all over the nation, folks. I mean, we have people um, in the Central Time Zone, Pacific Time Zone, Mountain Time Zone, uh, all over the place. Uh, so, I mean, these aren't these aren't our neighbors. Uh, obviously, Tony and I um, live in, in different states, um, and so we, we come from different backgrounds. Uh, you know, we have our own perspective on this, and now you just heard three others uh, as well. Um, and, and all kind of saying, you know, little things, uh, a couple things different, um, but all sort of uh, sort of the same same thing going on. The same we're, we're all perceiving what is going on uh, kind of in the same way. Uh, and, and Tony definitely brought up uh, some really good points, um, you know, about about what's happening. And, and Tony, thanks for thanks for <laughs> uh, putting down the offers, man, and, and, and telling those people to go kick rocks uh, and keep an XJTalk dot com the way it is. Well, the, the whole idea behind starting the website wasn't to make money. Um, I, I mean, in fact, I didn't see that uh, there would be, um, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about Google Ads, how they really worked. And uh, to me, that was just a huge unknown. It wasn't the reason uh, for putting the site up. But as I got the site and I started uh, seeing the clicks and I started seeing the money, uh, to me, it was, first off, this is, it's possible that I could actually get this where uh, the, the ad revenue is paying for the internet access and, and basically making the site free for me to run. And then uh, after uh, accomplishing that, it was like, well, maybe I can actually get enough money so that we can uh, use that for giveaways because uh, it's always fun to give stuff away. And if I can uh, uh, basically get money for nothing, <laughs> and then uh, buy something and, and give it to somebody. Uh, you know, you got a you got a buddy. For at least the the site has a buddy for life, and uh, you got somebody out there singing the praises. It just makes you feel good uh, to have uh, 
uh, being able to provide something for somebody like that. And one of these days, we're going to, now this isn't a guarantee, it just depends on how things go, but one of these days, I want to put together an XJ and give it away. Man, that would be just fantastic. I, I think that that would be the um, the ultimate pinnacle. I mean, that that would be, uh, there's no words for something like that. Uh, have a giveaway XJ, uh, I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, unfortunately, you know, I, I would have to fly down, um, you know, to your neck of the woods in order to become part of that build process. But I would love to have my hands uh, in on that. You know, obviously, I, I'm going to have to, you know, take a, a back seat and be kind of behind the scenes of it at all. But uh, that would be that would be the ultimate giveaway. Well, I, I have bounced it off of Matt. You know, he's got a shop. He's got a place to to keep it. We got a place to work on it. It's uh, and and he runs across stuff all the time. And uh, I'm not kind of not sure how many waivers we'd have to have people sign and uh, everything else. <laughs> but yeah, it'd be a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully, the site will get big enough so that uh, we'll be able to provide uh, enough revenue. Uh, for, to our vendors that they will say, oh yeah, we'll be more than happy to provide you with this long arm system or these tires or, you know, whatever. That's, that's kind of the goal as I, I want to be able to put it together and then, uh, uh, through basically donations of, of vendors and, and what I can do and what Matt can do as far as, uh, what, what things come up. But so this really isn't an announcement. It's just a, a wish of something I want to do in the future. And, uh, that's, uh, that's what we're shooting for. It's, we're, I'm not shooting to, to make a living off of this because uh, at this rate, in, in about 20 years, I'd probably be able to do that. But uh, gosh, I don't know how many uh, Cherokees are still going to be on the road in 20 years. Probably all of them. What am I thinking? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, that it would be a lot of fun, Tony. I mean, you know, regardless of, of you know everything that would go into it, it would be a ton of fun to put together a um, a Cherokee giveaway. And I'm sure there's a a boatload of logistics that would go behind it, um, both on the legal and financial side of things. But I think that would be a lot of fun for 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 you, for me, for our listeners, and, and especially especially for one lucky winner um, who got that. And just like Tony said, it's not an announcement. But boy, this is definitely, um, you know, a big highlighted item on the wish list. Yeah. And it's not a, I know it's not an original idea. I mean, I saw uh, NAXJA.org uh, do it. And that's where I, I saw that a good five years ago. And I went, you know, I'd like to be able to do that. I think that would be uh, the pinnacle of, uh, of the whole XJ uh, talk site, being able to, to do it, do that. And It'd be great if we could do one a year. That would be really, that would be my, my long-term goal. That would be something else. That would be something else. Well, maybe we can come up with, uh, with something different between, um, you know, now and then and, and uh, come up with something here in the near future to, to do a little giveaway for y'all. Yeah, and we're going to have some giveaways. We just uh, haven't had some here in a while, uh, but uh, it, uh, it all depends on uh, uh, how the site does and uh, what, how much money we have available to us and, uh, we're doing good uh, in uh, paying for the site, paying for the internet access and the, the server and uh, all that. So uh, appreciate all the uh, all the clicks that you guys have been doing, all the visitations on the site you've been doing. Because uh, that I did forget to mention that the the ad revenue does go up depending on how many page impressions you have. So we're running about a hundred thousand page impressions uh, a month now. So uh, when somebody clicks on the ad, that click is worth a little more because of that 
um, the number of pages that have been viewed by people. So uh, the, the 100K is kind of the magic number that uh, we've been, been wanting to get at. So doing very well, very happy. Very good. And folks, if you want to be able to, to get in on the support of XJTalk, uh, XJTalk.com, make sure you, uh, you spread the word for one. Uh, and there's another avenue that you can take to help, um, help support uh, the talk show and, of course, your favorite website, and that's going to Amazon.com. If you're doing anything, any kind of online shopping, make sure you visit xjtalk.com or the xjtalkshow.com and click on the Amazon banner. It'll take you straight to amazon.com. You're not going to pay a penny more, but Amazon's going to give us a little kickback for anything that you purchase. We appreciate it if you do that. And of course, spread the word about Amazon and XJ Talk Show. Got a tip? We do. It's time for Jeep Tips. And we've got Steve, 4.3 LXJ from XJTalk.com here to uh, give us another Jeep tip. Uh, good afternoon, Steve. Uh, how are you doing and what are we going to talk about? Oh, I'm doing fine, Tony. Um, I thought, first of all, today that we'd uh, talk about uh, universal joint straps. Uh, we've all got them on our rear axles and our front axles on our Dana 30s, our Dana 35s, and and the Chrysler 8 and a quarter rear ends that we have. And uh, I think also if you are fortunate to have a uh, Dana 44, uh, you have them also on that. And uh, they're very common, and uh, sometimes people have trouble with them. And as a matter of fact, we had uh, a member the other day uh, that had changed a U-joint and found that uh, the yoke had gotten wallowed out because the uh, U-joint cup wasn't in there tight. So uh, I thought I'd take a moment to uh, talk about uh, universal joint straps on the uh, pinion yoke of our, uh, our Jeeps. Excellent. A uh, long time ago, you know, back in the day, uh, there was only one way to uh, strap down a uh, universal joint, and that's with a U-bolt. And those remained very popular until the 60s when... Uh, the uh, automotive companies and uh, so forth wanted to uh, start trimming costs on uh, their uh, parts that they were acquiring from Dana and Spicer and, and uh, whoever else. So they went to uh, a different, little different design on the uh, pinion yokes, and they started using these little stamp steel straps. And you can, if you're in a factory, you can spit about. Uh, 10 of those every second out of a machine. It just spits them right out. And uh, you can make enough in a couple of days for your inventory for the entire year. So they started doing this, and we get them now as part of uh, factory equipment on our uh, differentials. And uh, eventually, uh, you have to change a universal joint. It's just a given. Uh, you get a rig with 200,000 miles on it. Uh, and especially if you take it out and wheel it in the mud or whatever, you're going to have to change a uh, universal joint sooner or later on these things. One of the things that a lot of people don't know about these universal joint straps is that it's necessary to replace the straps and the little bolts and hold them in every time you replace a universal joint. Uh, most people just go down and buy a universal joint and put it in and never think about these little straps or the bolts, but the bolts are supposed to be torqued and the uh, straps are supposed to be replaced every time because these straps every time you use them they're stamped so that they're just a little bit too small 
So when you torque the bolts down on them, they stretch a little bit. And because they're just mild steel, they'll stretch permanently. And if they're stretched to your particular U-joint cap, um, then that's fine and dandy. But if they're a little bit loose on the next one, there's some things that can happen, such as uh, under torque, you can uh, actually spit a U-joint out. And I've done this several times on a rig I had. It was a big old Dodge Power Wagon, and I'd load it up with tons and tons and try to pull it uphill, and, and it would throw the drive line every time, and I'd go pick up the pieces and put it back together. And then it would throw it again later. And it's because those straps had been stretched. Um, so when you change a U-joint, you've got to replace those straps. They don't cost very much. And you should replace the bolts, too, every time. And uh, I can't remember what the torque values are for those, but uh, you'll see them in uh, uh, a Haynes manual or in a Chilton's or anything like that. There's, there's a torque value for them. The other thing you can do is go back to the old style on the Dana uh, pinion yokes. Uh, you could reuse the U-bolts, and those you never have to replace, and they're much stronger anyway. So uh, the, the best scenario would be to change the type of uh, pinion yoke you have, and uh, the least that you should do is replace the straps and the bolts. And now for a disclaimer. Jeep tips is for entertainment purposes only. If you choose to follow these tips, man up and take the responsibility for your own actions. If you cannot or you feel that working on your Jeep is beyond your abilities, seek the help or advice of a trained certified mechanic. Be sure to friend XJ Talk on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and add us to your circles on Google+. Join the XJTalk.com community and check out our sister site, WranglerTalk.com. Well, hey folks, I got another special uh, guest for you, a special interview, a special in-studio guest here with me. I've got Ryan Reuser, is that right? Reiser. Reiser from Bree and Bub Off-Road, and he's got a, actually he's involved in quite a lot of other stuff as well. Here in the Pacific Northwest, I would say he's definitely one of the most active members in the off-road community. And he's been kind enough to uh, sit down in studio with me for a little bit of an interview. And so we're going to dive into this, ask a few questions, kind of peel back some of the layers a little bit, and uh, find out a little bit more about Ryan. So, hey, Ryan, first, thanks for uh, stopping in and, and doing this. Really appreciate you taking the time out to come in and, uh, well, let me examine and, and get into you a little bit here. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, man, my pleasure. So, um, as you know, uh, we got this podcast that we do here. It is um, Jeep Cherokee based. This is the XJ Talk Show, um, and then I've seen your Cherokee. It is uh, quite built, in fact. Um, how much lift do you have on that thing, really? Um, for a stock Cherokee, it would be about eight to ten inches of lift. But with a Dana sixty, it's a different diameter. So I don't know, somewhere around there. So you 11. got sixties front and rear. Yes. Tell us a little bit more about your Jeep. So let's let's go bumper to bumper and and tires to roof. What what all do you uh, have you done to that thing? Right now it looks a lot more built than it is because I did a lot of work on the wife's. Mine's a '92, 
uh, Cherokee. It's got all the bolt-on stuff to the engine, like a header, coil, throttle body, cold air intake, all that bolt-on junk. And then a Dodge Dana 60s out of a newer Dodge one tons. Um, Are they full width? Yes. Wow. And um, right now it's on 37s. I got some plans to do tube fenders and maybe 39s or 40s. I think our best upgrade right now is the, uh, it's got a stack mini monster transfer case, which is kind of similar to the Atlas, but in my opinion, better. So oh. a twin stick, kind of. Yeah, no, it is a twin stick. It is a twin stick. Yeah, and it crawls crazy. Like, on a regular normal trail, I just put in fifth gear and cruise along at 15 miles an hour. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so do you know what the gear ratio is? I mean, the... Uh... I honestly don't. In the axles, it's 355, so, like, really bad. <laughs> oh, so you got, you got 355s on 37s. Yeah. Wow. So I can't really drive uphill, but when I put it in low range, it crawls crazy. So once I get the axles geared, it should be dialed in pretty good. Oh, uh, yeah, I'd say. You'd be able to do wheelies in that thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, was there any, like, custom plates or adapters that, to get that in to match up with the uh, the Cherokee drivetrain? Um, I've done a lot of fabrication on it. It actually... Both of our Cherokees, you know, one of the big issues is their unibody. So I've built a frame for both of them. I bought a kit for the wife's that's already like pre-cut and stuff. So you just put it up in there and it wasn't that cheap. And I figured I could do the same thing out of angle iron. So on mine, I actually made a frame that goes from the rear wheel well all the way up to the front bumper. And it's got a lot of everything's like DOM or heim joints and everything all fabricated. A lot of it's just homemade parts. The only thing I really bought was like the leaf springs and the coil springs and stuff like that that you can't really make at the same price you could buy it for. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about this frame that you got. Um, as we all know, the Cherokees are a unibody and they don't have a, an actual frame. And there's, you know, companies out there like TNT that um, make frame stiffeners. Um, but this kit that you've made for yours sounds like it's kind of a step above and beyond that even. Yeah, what I did on my wife's, she has an 89 Cherokee and I ordered the the rough stuff, they have a frame kit that's kind of cut and notched already so you can put it up there with a floor jack and it'll mold itself in and then you can mm -hmm. weld it in. I kind of took the same concept out of 3x3 three three angle iron and I just put it up to the corner and cut it where the bends were, bent it where it needed to be and welded it to the unibody. Now, is there any sort of lateral support that goes across, you know, from driver to passenger side or is this basically just a sandwich of the existing unibody frame rails? Other, I just got an, I built a, cross member for it so other than that and then there's a steering box um support type of thing other than that that's the only like cross supports right now so that must have really stiffened things up quite a bit yeah no it's now you can like the normal xj when you're flexed out you can't open doors and close doors right I don't have any issues there. I yeah, I'm, I'm still, I don't have any stiffeners or anything. I mean, the, the closest thing I got is is a cross brace um, uh, in the front and a, uh, a trailer hitch in the back. And um, and that helped a little bit. But still, if I'm really flexed out and I got to get into the back for a recovery strap or some tools or something like that, uh, oftentimes it's kind of hard to either open or close the rear hatch. <laughs> yeah, I never really thought about it until afterwards I noticed I don't have that issue anymore. And I go out with a lot of different people, and in our club, we have a few people that have Cherokees, and they're like, how come you don't have any issues? Well, I've got a frame, so. <laughs> so now, you, so um, you got a Cherokee for the wife as well. And yeah. She's got an 89, and yours is a, what'd you say, a 92? Mine's a 92. So a dual Cherokee-owning family. Um, uh, first of all, I'm jealous. <laughs> uh, second of all, that's awesome. 
Um, I take it you guys both wheel. Yeah, we're I'm trying to get her into it more. Um, I think there's about this year the or 2012. I had mine finished in time to make it out to the trophy challenge. So we had both of them running at the same time for almost a day. So first and last time it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> no, hers hers is gonna be going again soon. I got a motor ready to drop it in. Hers is actually the the wheeler because mine sat for three years while we built hers up. So she's got. You know, a Dana 30 with the super chromoly whatever kit in the front. So it's got chromoly everything on with 35s and a 411s and an ARB. In the rear, I've got the 8.8 with the limited slip and disc brakes and ARB. No, not ARB yet, but 411s. Hers has everything. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, uh, you've got hers built up more than yours. I do. <laughs> You really love the wife, man. <laughs> the joke is right now, mine's bigger, but hers, I know hers can go more places. Oh, with yeah, the, no, it sounds like it. It's got brand new MTRs on it, 35s, and with the lockers, it just goes everywhere. And roughly how much lift has hers got on it? Hers is about five and a half, six. And the long arms on both your guys's, or? Yeah, I built, I built custom long arms for both of ours. I had all the materials to do mine. It's kind of how hers got built, is I'd save up parts and get ready to throw them on mine, and somehow somebody would be out wheeling hers and it would break. So then I'd have to fix hers before I could fix mine. So she got kind of all my parts. And the first long arm kit I ever bet was on hers. And I was like, well, the longer, the better. So I built her four foot arms. Holy so. cow. So that cross member's like, um, what, back by the muffler? It's actually <laughs> welded into the frame right by the back doors. Wow. So the exhaust dumps before the, the links hook up to the frame. <laughs> well, that's got to ride pretty good on the on the, uh, on the the highway, I guess. It actually drives amazing. It's got the little bit of like um, a wobble, like all the lifted Cherokees do. Yeah. It's, it's getting better. I'm replacing a lot of stuff. I've pretty much got rid of all the tie rods, re, redid the way that the track bar mounts up and heim joints everywhere. It's It's got a little bit of slip, slop from the heim joints, but... Well, that's that typical um, dead spot in the steering that, that usually happens with that sort of a setup, right? Right. But I like, everybody's like, oh, I don't like Heim joints. Use Johnny joints. And Heim joints are cheap and they're reliable. You yeah. Put a washer on each side of it and it'll never break. So, so um, how big a tubing do you have on, the, on that steering linkage? On hers, I honestly don't remember. I'm, I, I just, I don't remember. I know mine, I just did it recently. So it's 250 wall. So it's a quarter inch thick. Well, it's pure beef, it sounds like. Well, with Dana 60s and 37s, 38s, I'm sorry? 37s. 37s. And, and well, future 40s, it sounds like. You've got plans for it. Yeah, uh, yeah you're going to need some of that um, that big beef. Well, you mentioned that you um, you got a club. And so I know that um, Bree and Bub Off-Road is um, is kind of a club of sorts. Um, so let's let's get into that a little bit. Um, let's, go, let's take it back uh, even further. Uh, how'd you get into wheeling? Um, well, you know, if I asked, if you talked to my parents, supposedly they got me into it when I was real little, but the last four by four they had, they sold when I was like four. So your folks were off-road enthusiasts. Yeah. My mom and dad actually used to race around the Pacific Northwest and they were part of groups, Land Cruiser groups back in the day, but I don't really know too much about that because they quit when I was pretty little. So my first four by four was like a little S10 Blazer and I never really wheeled it. Then I had a two-wheel drive Ranger, and I wheeled wheeled that thing a lot for a two-wheel drive. And Wait, then... <laughs> okay, so we we got it. We got to get into this. A two-wheel drive. No, first, first, let me just go and throw this out there. I had a I had a, a, a an S10 Blazer as well, um, which was um, 
one of my personally first owned uh, four wheel drive vehicles that I, I got stuck more than a few times. Um, I probably wheeled it um, more and in more places than I probably should have. Um, but uh, that thing gave up the ghost a long time ago. And, and of course, I was able to, to get my um, long, long awaited Jeep that, uh, that I've got now. But um, a, a, a two wheel drive Ranger that you've wheeled. So I got to hear a couple of stories. Um, talk about that Ranger and, and, uh, and what happened with that. Well, I inherited a truck from my, my uncle, and it was just the typical Ranger. And I was like, oh, it looked cool with some bigger tires on it. So I put mm-hmm. some 31s, and they rubbed a little bit. So then I got some coil spacers and um, lift shackles for the rear. So that like three inches of lift. So then I figured, you know, I should hit some mud holes. And <laughs> I did a lot of logical, uh, lo- logical choice there. Yeah. And I used it for work, and I drove all over the state, and every time I'd see a mud hole, I'd have to dive into it. And Perfectly understandable, yeah. perfectly normal. One day, there was a, they were doing some construction. There was a mud hole that looked cool, and it wasn't that cool. When I pulled into it, it just sank up past the hood. So that oh. was... <laughs> by the time it got out of there, that rig was done. So, oh, man. So did you, were you able to self-rescue, or did somebody have to come and give you a tug? Um, there was actually two Jeeps that worked across the street that came over and they could not pull it out. And, oh, you were buried. And I had, our other rig was a daily driver and it was like a 99 Envoy, which is same thing as a Jimmy. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really care at that point. I needed to get my truck out. So I just hooked onto it and kept yanking on it. And finally I said, I'd give it one last try. And we had like a 20 foot strap and I backed all the way up to the bumper and I just got on it. But I was doing it by myself. So I didn't think there was nobody in the truck. So finally, when I got to the end of that strap, it like jerked and then it started to like, that was a big suction sound, like when your foot gets oh, stuck yeah, in the mud. Yeah. <laughs> and I looked in the mirror and the truck was coming at me at about 30 miles an hour. Oh, no. <laughs> so luckily, I just, I cranked it to the left and the truck flew by and whatever. It was all said and done. But when the truck was like done and out of the hole, it was done. The tranny was blown. The motor was blown. Oh, jeez. So that was the end of the little two-wheel drive Ranger. That's hilarious. That is that is great. I had a um I had a 1978 Toyota pickup back in the day, two wheel drive, long bed. That uh, same sort of thing. I, I I spotted a mud hole that I figured, oh yeah, I'm gonna go drive through that, and uh, ended up being a lot deeper and a lot <laughs> bigger than I thought it was, and uh, ended up bearing that little Toyota straight up to the frames and, and had to get extracted. Uh, luckily, I, I didn't I didn't blow up the training or the motor on on that one, but but yeah, taking a two wheel drive pickup like it was a four wheel drive rig. That's hilarious. Can't so, bet. so after the S10 um, was the uh, the phase Jeep that you're in now. Am I right? Um, well, actually, after the Ranger, I didn't have a rig. We had the '99 Envoy, but it was more of a it's a soccer mom car because sure. they don't really build four by fours anymore. Mm-hmm. I went into an off road shop and I said, I want to build a four by four. What is the best way to go? And they said, Well, with aftermarket support and parts and all that, it's either Toyota or Jeep. So. At that time, we, you know, had a family, so I was looking for a family rig, and it's either, you know, a 4Runner, an FJ80, whatever they are, the big mm-hmm. Land Cruisers, yeah. or a Cherokee was pretty much my only options. And when it came to price, Cherokees were cheap. So I picked up mine for 1000 bucks, and it was bone stock when I got it. And now it's where it is now. Yeah, and folks, um, we'll have to uh, get a couple pictures. And I'll try and get these pictures, or at least links to the pictures, posted up in the uh, show notes. And you guys can check out Ryan's uh, Jeep and, and uh, where it's at today in, in, a, in his build. Uh, future plans for either Jeep? What do you have uh, on, the, uh, on the radar for both of them? The wife's Jeep really doesn't need too much. I mean, other than I got to drop the motor in it. Um, 
I need to finish. It needs to have an exo cage because they both need to have cages. I need to do an exo cage for hers, and eventually, when the the stock Ford Limited slip goes out in the rear, it'll get an ARB. But other than that, hers is actually pretty much done. I I need to build a swingway tire carrier bumper because spare tires in the back of the Jeep take up too much space. But oh, I don't. I know it. Other than that, I mean, hers is pretty much ready to go. Hers is going to be more of the search and rescue rig, and then mine's going to be the actual wheeler. So mine's got a lot of work coming still. So without getting uh, too far off of um, off the track here, um, let's go down the list of, of everything you're involved in. I mean, obviously, um, you you wheel as a hobby, um, but you search and rescue. You got Bree and Bub off-road. Um, uh, what else do you have that you're involved in? Um, we're... Me and my wife are two out of three tread lightly master trainers in the like four or five hundred mile radius. Um, and the other one we're big involved in is Candlelighters, which is a charity that helps families of or of children that have cancer. And you're also a ham operator, am I right? Yes, I got my ham license after I joined the search and rescue because they don't they don't really do anything with CB. It's all ham radio stuff. So they kind of pressured me into getting that, and I'm, I'm glad they did. So are you part of Mountain Wave as well? or Yeah, Mountain Wave Search and Res- uh, Mountain Wave Communications. It's a search and rescue group that provides communications for all the search and rescue groups in the pretty much the state. So they have like, what, a repeater tower set up somewhere? and they no, There's actual, they have repeaters in a box that they can be deployed anywhere. And the the kind of their history, five years ago, there used to be a 4 by 4 search and rescue group that was mainly Jolly Jeepers with a few other people. They combined it with Mountain Wave Tour. Now Mountain Wave has its own unit that's a 4 by 4 unit. So when people get stuck in the snow or when there's a search and, you know, it's 10 miles up in the woods, but you can't get to it with a regular vehicle, the 4 by 4 people will transport them up there. And the 4 by 4 people are also the ones that will deploy the repeater. They'll go up to the top of a mountain However, you got to get to the top of the mountain. They'll get up there and deploy the repeater. That way, everybody can communicate while on the search. Well, that sounds neat. I'm really exciting. So, mm-hmm. have you? Um, you're active with search and rescue, right? Yes. So, um, have you been on any any searches, any rescue? Have you been a part of um, saving any lives? Um, I don't know for sure about saving lives. I mean, I like to think so. Um, we've done a lot of searches. Most of them happen up on Mount Hood because it's you know one of the most climbed mountains in the world where it's i don't really want to say boring but that's the boring missions <laughs> where we just kind of sit in the rig and you know communicate on the radios the most recent one i did with the jeep was the it's kind of pretty public around here it was all over the news it was the two boys from malala that were missing up in the, like the estacada area and they popped out by the bagby hot springs that because of the way the area is, they couldn't communicate because with the valleys and trenches, we couldn't get communication. So I actually got to take the Jeep up to the top of some mountain. I don't know where it was, but it was about 4,500 feet in the snow and all kinds of stuff. And I deployed the repeater so that everybody was able to communicate with each other. So Wow. Integral part of that rescue operation then. Yeah, I, I felt kind of important. It was the first big mission I've had where I did a big part of it, I feel. Well, and rightly so. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. Well, um, first, thanks for doing that. I'm sure the families of the kids that were um, eventually found were extremely relieved, and, and congrats for being a part of that, man. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it's kind of hard at times. I've had to pass up on a lot this month because it's all donation fund, um, funded, the whole program. Mm-hmm. So we pay for our own gas, our own mileage, everything. So oh, yeah. 
it, it, that is our satisfaction is the families when they're happy. Cause I mean, that's other than that, we're not getting any financial reimbursement. So, uh, other financial or lack of financial reimbursement, you, you mentioned candle lighters. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah, actually kind of the whole origins of the club in 2008, me and my wife met in the hospital. Both of our kids had cancer and they actually passed away in 2008, but we just trying to turn it into a positive and early 2009, we got married and we started the off-road club in memory. Bree was my daughter's nickname and Bubba was my wife's son's nickname. And that's where the name came from and a charity that helped our family out immensely was Candlelighters. So now it's um, a local charity to the Northwest. Like there's the Children Cancers Association that's nationwide, but it's kind of hard to get help because it's such a big organization where Candlelighters is small and local and they're more willing to help out and they're not as well known. So we kind of go out of our way to do what we can to help them out since they helped us out so much. Now, I um, was lucky enough to be a part of your guys' fundraiser and um, which seemed to have a rather large turnout um, this last December. Um, and that was like kind of like your, your year-end big push to uh, raise some funds for your annual donation to Candlelighters. Um, how'd that go? That went amazing. One of the coolest things that Candlelighters does is they provide presents for the families that are in the hospital. And I think that's cool. So at the 1st of December, we try to get them as all the money that we've collected for the year so that they can do the present thing. And last year, we are just getting started out, like spreading the word, getting members and whatnot. And mm -hmm. there's maybe 10, 15 of us. And I think we might have raised a hundred bucks at our Christmas party. And this year it was, you know, 10 times that we, we, I mean, we can't really say anything to get the place in trouble, but we were over the maximum capacity for the room and we had their big conference room. So that was awesome. Yeah, um, folks, I was um, sort of the MC for the evening, and that place was packed. They actually had to go into the closets and get out some other banquet tables and start pulling out the folding chairs because the turnout was absolutely amazing. I'm I'm pretty sure <laughs> that we were uh, over maximum occupancy in, on, on that, but that's a good thing. Um, do, you, do you have a dollar figure how much you guys raised? Yeah, we raised over $1,090, and then there was some change. Um, the actual party itself was just under $1,000. It was 900 and some change. But throughout the year, we go to different show and shines, and we have a little donation jar for candle lighters. And we try to raise money year-round. The Christmas party is just the big push. But with adding it all together, we were able to do just under $1,100. That's fantastic. I'm sure that will actually go um, uh, quite a ways in helping other families that were in your situation in uh, 2008. Yeah, so, they were very happy with the donation. They actually personally called us the president of the organization. Wow. Hey, that's, I mean, that's that's great, uh, getting a little bit of feedback from something like that. I mean, oftentimes I hear of, um, you know, donations like that, and, and you don't even get so much as a thank you letter. Yeah. But actually getting a call from the uh, president of the organization, that's that's really something. Well, cool, man. I hope to, um, to uh, be involved in that uh, again next year and, and as the year goes on. So speaking of as the year goes on, um, Bree and Bub Off-Road, we talked about um, how that sort of the inception of it. Um, can you talk about how many members you've got? Um, officially, we just have two members. It's me and my wife because we want to be part of the Pacific Northwest Four Wheel Drive Association so we can be able to put on events and all this stuff. But if you do that, every member of your club has to pay those dues at $45 a year. And I've always wanted our club to be open to anyone, 
and for free. So the only way we can do that is by having like unofficial members that are more supporters where they have our decals, they have our stickers, they have our gear and they go with us on all the runs. But if anything comes to like a vote, there's no like voting privileges or anything like that is the only downside. So it's more, um, I mean, it's kind of like a like a club almost, um, but there's no official real organization as far as, um, you know, members dues and, and you know, voting on things and stuff like that. It's it's kind of like just a bunch of uh, people with the same sort of interest in off-roading kind of getting together and doing what you guys do, right? Correct. That's awesome. So um, 2013, it's looking like it's going to be a fairly big year in the off-road community here in, in the uh, Pacific Northwest as far as like shows go and, and runs and stuff like that. Uh, do you guys personally have anything planned coming up? Uh, we're working on a few things. Um, just this last week, we actually became official, registered with the state of Oregon. So now we're an official nonprofit organization. Uh, we have a meeting this weekend for the Pacific Northwest Region 3 meeting. We're going to talk to them and get all signed up for that so we can be able to put on events. We already have a date locked in in August for a event at Brown's Camp. We're still working on some more details for that. And I think we're going to try and do a show and shine sometime this summer as well. It's kind of hard to plan events because we go to everybody's events. Yeah, so. I know how that goes. <laughs> so um, is it going to be kind of like a show and shine, a cruise in, so to speak, in August? Is that is that what you were thinking? No, in August, it's actually going to be a rock crawl event out at Brown's oh. Camp. We're going to use, I know for sure, we're using can opener and the waterfall main obstacles and the archers trail it connects it to, which is the trail that was actually adopted by Breen Bob Off-Road. We're going to be using that section of Brown's camp, and I'm still working out a lot of details. Saturday is going to be a cleanup, and I'm going to get some raffle items together, and you know, whoever participates in the cleanup gets raffle tickets. Whoever picks up the most trash gets extra tickets, and all the items for the raffle will be for who helps clean up. And then I'm still... I don't know how many details I can disclose because I got to figure out what's going to cost to put on the event. Sure. But Sunday, I want it to be a cash price. There's going to be, I want to try and keep it, you know, cheap, you know, twenty, thirty dollars to enter, and then you know, first, second place gets cash prizes. I'm still working on how much it's going to cost for insurance and all the stuff to put on the event. And once I get that figured out, we don't plan on keeping any money from it. It's all going to go back to the competitors. Oh, that's that sounds like a lot of fun. Um. I don't know about uh, whether my Jeep's going to be ready to compete in something like that, but uh, but I know that I've I've been up on uh, on several of those trails and uh, water actually conquered waterfall for the first time last summer. So that was um that was awesome. I uh, received a little bit of body damage, um, but uh, but I was glad to make it up and without any uh, too much too much terrible carnage on that. So it's going to be like a two day event, so a cleanup and then uh, and then an actual run. Well, the event is actually on Sunday, but if anybody wants raffle prizes and hang out and kind of do the whole weekend thing, Saturday is going to be the whole cleanup day. So are you working with the Tillamook State Forest, Department of Forestry, or I mean, I imagine there's got to be some sort of official channels that you're going to have to be working with uh, on something like this. Yeah, um, Jamal's the main guy out there. He's the one that I work with to adopt the trail, and we're going to end up working with him some more. But the way events work at Browns Camp is, at the beginning of the year, like early January, they have a big meeting where all the motorcycle 4x4 clubs, everybody meets at the forestry center, and they have all the dates that are available, and you just kind of pick a date. Then the next person picks a date, and the next person picks a date until there's no more dates left. Mm -hmm. And 
that happened in January. So now pretty much there's not going to be any more official events other than what's already planned. And luckily we got one of those dates. So we're pretty happy about that. Nice. Nice. Well, that's, that's awesome. It sounds like, <laughs> it sounds like, uh, there's going to be a full calendar up in our local, uh, neck of the woods or a little wheeling spot that most of us go to. And I know you guys have heard me talk about um, the TSF, Tillamook State Forest, Browns Camp, and, and stuff like that. It's probably one of the most popular um, uh, off-road, fully sanctioned, supported, maintained wheeling spots here in, in the state. Uh, there are others. There are several others, in fact. But this is probably by far one of the most popular and one of the largest. Um, and it's glad that they've opened their, you know, the av- availability and, and that, that level of stewardship with the different clubs and stuff like that. And bring them in to do things like events and, and things like that. And it's cool that you're a part of that and gotten your foot in the door, so to speak. As, if this becomes, um, if this ends up being a, a big success, it sounds like maybe 2014 is going to be pretty huge for you guys. Yeah, I hope so. I want to try and make everything annual. Like our Christmas party mm-hmm. is going to turn into an annual event. Um, if we get everything organized in time and get the show and shine and the rock crawl event going good this summer, want to try and make it annual events. Well, speaking of annual events, there's uh, several shows um, that I know that are, are annual uh, that happen every year around here. Uh, some bigger ones, in fact. Um, you planning on uh, on being a part of those? Yeah, we try to be at every show we can. Some of them are kind of hard because they're on the same day. But I know last year we missed like the Salem show. They have a big show in Salem. We missed that last year because it was the same day as another show. So we're going to make that one for sure this year. Four Wheel Parts has three per year, and the last show they did this last summer, they actually put me in charge of that show. And it sounds like I'll be doing the three this year as well, so I'll probably be at those three for sure, organizing the event. Now, Four Wheel Parts, uh, I'm sure that's a name that a lot of you guys are going to recognize. I mean, that's a national company. So these are, um, I mean, there's really just one Four Wheel Parts uh, in the state that I know of. Um, So that's got to be a pretty pretty good size show or at least a pretty important show it's it's pretty important it's it's not that big it's as big as it can be with the area because what it is it's their sale day and they have the show to help bring in customers so they can't do it at an area because then that would take the customers away from the shop Mm. so they have a side street and i was able to fit cars kind of came and went all day just when i started to get worried that i didn't have room for another rig one would leave so another one would show up but i actually had like the first couple neighbors i said hey do you care if we park a car in your driveway or whatever and the first two or three houses there was rigs in front of their houses and it was pretty rainy so if it would have been sunny i think we would have had some issues of parking oh wow yeah um folks around here the the um, local four-wheel parts store is is literally literally right on a major thoroughfare um their parking lot is i'd say maybe 10 vehicles long (laughs) i mean it's not it's not very big at all i know some of the other four-wheel parts maybe in your neck of the woods uh they're probably large facilities i know i've seen some pictures of um some of the um the stores down like southern california and texas and, and and whereabouts that they look like super centers uh certainly not the case here in our beloved little state uh city of portland um but it sounds like four wheel parts definitely attracts a crowd. Uh, and you're, I mean, you're filling up a, and it's basically a residential street that, that intersects um, that main thoroughfare that is the corner lot of four wheel parts. And, uh, you've got cars lined all the way down, or Jeeps, um, trucks lined all the way down and parking in people's driveways. Uh, if it falls on a sunny day this year, 
So we're, I think the police are going to be in trouble. Involved. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're going to actually, there's a Chinese food restaurant and we've kind of talked, me and, me and the owner of Horrible Parts about seeing if we could kind of commandeer some of their parking lot. We mm-hmm. unofficially do anyway, like like the wife's car and some cars park over there. yeah. Right. Because we, I, I do everything I can. I have the cars actually parked perpendicular to the sidewalk so they're facing out, yeah. lined up all the way down, and we had three quarters of the block filled up to Jeez. where we were we were out of space. And that's on a rainy day. Well, of yeah. course, uh, there's a lot more rainy days than there are sunny days here in Portland, so <laughs> probably not uh, not too out of the, uh, out of the uh, unexpected there. So, well, that's, um, that's great, man. Um, any other, uh, any other big runs you plan on heading out of state at all or, um, do anything, uh, any real big runs with, uh, both your Jeeps or going to be doing any expeditions or anything like that, uh, this year? Um, at this time, it's pretty local. The farthest away thing we do is like the Oregon trail rally that's out in the Dalles. We, that's something we do for the search and rescue. We're like sweet for them, but with our rigs being, you know, daily drivers, it's, you know, if something breaks, we're kind of stuck we can't go to the rubicon and break and then figure out how we're getting home so yeah i know i uh <laughs> don't rub it in <laughs> i uh, i actually i think i just uh told our listeners uh, last week or the week before that i'm planning a trip in september to the rubicon and uh, as you guys know my jeep is my daily driver and uh, and i've got a pretty lengthy commute so it's not like i i really got much of an alternative uh, at least at this point so things may change um, here in the next few months. If Uncle Sam is is nice enough to uh, give me a tax return this year, maybe I can uh, go ahead and get myself a different daily driver, and then I'm not going to be so worried about what happens on the Rubicon. But but I know that that's uh, what that's like, uh, not being able to, or really not being willing to take your rig out to something like that and take the risk of of having some major breakage because it is your daily driver, and you're not, you may not have the chance of being able to either drive back or you'd be looking at some serious repairs. So, um, so the wife's Jeep's almost done. You said, I mean, you got a little bit left to do, um, on hers. Exo cages on both. It sounds like. Yeah, it's, it's almost required. I've, I've laid mine over on its side once or twice and same thing with the wife's. And once it starts getting bigger and we start getting crazier, it's, it's inevitable that we're going to flip all the way over and with the Cherokee if you don't have a cage then we're stuck throwing away the whole rig and well inevitable says you I'm not planning (laughs) on rolling mine over anytime soon (laughs) so wait a minute so you said you said you flopped yours a couple of times um I know that you know something like that is generally a little bit embarrassing so but I got to bring it up so tell the story about how you flopped your jeep the first time I flopped mine was when I first got it and when it was still okay to go up to Estacada and what we did is me and my daughter, we, we pretty much lived in the hospital. So we'd be there for 30, 60, 90 days. So we'd get out for a weekend. And her favorite thing was the snow. So we went went up in the snow and ended up getting lost and all kinds of oh, stupid geez. stuff. And ended up getting, I found the main road, you know, 20, 30 feet away. But there was a set of tank traps. So I, oh. I went through the tank traps and the last one just kind of laid it over on its side. It was, you know, nothing crazy. I mean, I didn't put my kid in danger or anything mm-hmm. stupid. It was just got a little crossed up and slid in the snow and mud and rolled it over. But, you know, I didn't have a winch at that time, but I had the high lift and the chain. So, you know, 15, 20 minutes, I was able to self-recover and get back on the main road and get home and all that fun stuff done. That might have been the only time I flopped mine. I'm sure there was more. That's the only one I can remember right now. But with the wife's, there was another time we were out wheeling and we were going up a trail that was pretty steep with pretty big rocks and just crawling up it. 
And it was before I did a slip yoke eliminator. So we lost the, uh, blew up the rear drive line. So I, had to, oh. I was backing down it and my wife was still pretty new to things. And I was just telling, trying to have her spot me down it. Next thing you know, I'm, you know, lifted up on one side, just kind of teeter totter. Oh, like, geez. Pucker, oh, uh, pucker oops. factor. <laughs> oops. I think there's a stump there. So <laughs> no, I, I put it in park. I unbuckle, climb out, look at the situation. And I'm like, this isn't good. I, the only option I had was to try and roll forward real slow. So as soon as I stopped, hopped in it, put it in drive, it just laid over on its side. Oh. And that, that one sucked because it, the angle it was at, I couldn't buckle back up. So, you know, I landed on the passenger mm-hmm. window and all that fun stuff. But I couldn't freak out because the wife was freaking out enough for the both of us. So I just <laughs> played it cool, you know, climbed in the back, grabbed some straps. And I just because of all of our training and going out by ourselves, I'm always prepared. So I, you know, two snatch blocks, you know, three straps, chains, all that stuff. So I was able to, you know, hook up the winch, get it put back on its tires and all that good stuff. Then the second time I flopped hers was up in the snow. I think it was last January, somewhere around there. We were going up a cedar tree, which is a very simple trail, but in four feet of snow, it can get a little challenging. Oh yeah, definitely. And I was, leading a group so i was trying to keep an eye on the rigs behind me and wasn't paying attention to what was in front of me and there was a another stump you know those things tend to hop out in front of you and well especially in the snow they can they can hide well and this one was actually kind of cool the way it worked out is because however it happened when i hit the stump it kicked the rear end around a little bit so i was pinned in between two stumps so my only option was to drive and see what happened and i actually drove up over the stump to the point where my mirror was dragging on the ground in the snow so i was on my side my tire the wheels were spinning in the snow and i was dragging the side of the car but then when i got over the stump it actually landed on the tires so that was kind of what that was the coolest one i've ever done so Dude, that that's something that you just never see. I mean, <laughs> yeah, everybody please, everybody please that saw some... it just thought it was awesome. But oh, please! Nobody got me... any pictures. Oh, <laughs> I was just gonna say, please tell me somebody had a video of that. I wish, and I was gonna try to do it again, but that's like impossible. So, yeah, no, that's not something you really want to try again. But that'd be really cool if it did happen. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, luckily for me, I I haven't been um haven't been in any situation where um I've laid it over or rolled it or flipped it or anything like that. I've I've gotten some really serious three wheel action before, um, and I've got some videos up on YouTube of that. But uh, thankfully, um, it's not quite there. And I'm armored up a little bit right now. I don't have an exo cage, but I definitely need more armor before I hit the Rubicon. And hopefully, I can uh, make it through all that without. A story like what you've just told. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see how that ends up turning out. And uh, who knows? Maybe by then uh, I might be able to drag you along. I mean, we're still, uh, what, eight, nine months away from uh, September and, and being able to head through the Rubicon. I mean, it sounds like both your rigs are definitely capable. Perhaps I can talk into bringing one of them. Oh, I'd love to take both of them. Eventually, my plan is to get something. I'm, I think my idea right now is like a school bus. And I'm going to chop off enough of it to where I still got you know, the front driver and passenger seat, then a bed mm-hmm. area in the back, then flatbed the rest of it so I can haul one rig there and then pull a car trailer behind it. So that's the... That's ingenious. That's the ultimate game That's plan. ingenious. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I don't know if it'll be done by this summer, but soon. Because I want to, you know, I want to do Moab. I want to do Rubicon. I want to do all that stuff. And one of the cool things is I actually learned at our, our search and rescue training today. They told me that we can write no, not right off, but we can claim our miles and hours for wheeling as training. So they get to write it off, but it just gives me, you know, I'm doing this for search and rescue. So 
I can use that as an excuse to go wheeling. Well, you hear that, folks? Uh, so sign up for Search and Rescue, get involved, and then all the wheeling that you do uh, ends up being uh, going towards your training and stuff like that, unofficially well, yeah. or officially. Get to write it off, at least. That's that's really cool. Well, too bad Uncle Sam doesn't recognize us being on the trails as a, as a write-off. That would be that sure be nice. Unfortunately, I personally can't write it off, but I can give the the stuff to the search and rescue group, and they can write it off. So, so um, as far as uh, your build goes, um, what else do you have left? Well, I know uh, as far as Jeeps go, builds are never really done. Yeah. Uh, the list is usually a mile long, and as soon as that mile gets shorter, another mile gets added to it. But uh, what's um, what's on the near the near future list? There's a few things that has to be done because technically it wasn't done. I just had to start driving it because I wrecked the wife's. Mm-hmm. I need my driveline right now with a 60. The angle's crazy, so I've got to figure something out with the front driveline. Uh, up at Brown's camp a couple weeks ago, uh, jumping trees. Uh, the exhaust got knocked pretty loose, so I need to get the exhaust fixed. A bunch of little stuff. My rear axle, the leaf springs actually need to be flipped around to push the axle back about another six inches because as a Cherokee, you can't cut away the rear with the mm-hmm. four-door. So if you move the axle back, then you can cut some more stuff. So that's that's one of the game plans. The next big actual upgrade that I have to do is lockers. As, as cool as it looks and everybody's like, oh, that thing's awesome, it it sucks not having lockers. So you're open, open on that thing? I'm really? Open, open. Oh, I never would have guessed. <laughs> and that's what everybody says. They'll, you know, I'll get stuck in this. Like I come to a stop in the snow and I can't get going again because I just get, you know, the one tire spinning on both sides. So lockers are definitely a big, big thing that's going to happen. When I do that, I'm probably going to throw in some 488s. So I get a better gear ratio. And well, if you're going up to 40s here in the near future, uh, sounds like you might be in the uh, was it 532s. Or 528. Well, what's the, oh, well, there's 529 or 513, but I think 48 should be fine. Because, I mean, I got 355s now, and I'm only going to go up a couple sizes in tires. So, I don't know. That's It's something I'm going to look into when the time comes. But I know once you get bigger than 488s, uh, either the ring or the pinion, one of them actually starts getting smaller. So, mm-hmm. once you get so big, it actually starts getting weaker. And I, I don't want any weak links on that. That's, yeah, no, I hear that. Yeah, four fifty sixes are in my near future. I'd like to get that done, but it's not uh it's not gonna be crucial or critical um for my run uh this summer. But uh it wouldn't be wouldn't be uh bad. I'd definitely like to get that done sooner than later. And uh luckily for me I'm locked up in the front, so neener neener neener. <laughs> I'll bring out the wipes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, hey, is there anything else you want to um, direct people? Do you got a Facebook, a Twitter, um, anything? Are you social media? Let's uh, let's get people heading your direction to find out more about you and, and what you do and, and Brian and Bub and all that. Uh, we do have the Facebook page. Brian Bub Off-Road has a Facebook page. And we actually have a website as well, uh, Brian Bub Off-Road.webs, I believe, .webs.com. And that's our actual website. It's... We're not as active on as I should, as we should be, because Facebook's kind of easier mm-hmm. to do a lot of stuff. I'm not very computer savvy, so I've got the Facebook figured out, so that's where we're at most of the time. But we do have a website that eventually it's going to start getting more active. I think we got about 10 people on there right now. It's something we just started real recent. We've been, we did a lot of stuff in two th- 2013. We got out there, got to know a lot of people. We started doing decals, stickers, sweatshirts, stuff like that. So we're we're actually trying to get a lot more, spread the word out there, let people know what we're doing this year. 
And if there's uh, anybody out there that may want to um, donate uh, to Candlelighters uh, on behalf of you or anything like that, can they get in touch with you or just straight through Candlelighters? Um, how would somebody go through those kind of channels to get that done? Whatever is easiest for them. They can go through us. Um, they can go to any Rivermark bank, which I don't know how many of those there are. I know there's a few here locally. We actually have a bank account set up for Bree and Bub Off-Road, and there's an actual separate account on that. There's a separate section on that account for Candlelighters that that money goes straight to Candlelighters that we, we add to it all year long, and that's our big donation account at the end of the year. You have nothing else they can uh, get a hold of you through Facebook and, and figure out if there's um, you know somebody off in Missouri or something like that that uh, has something for you. They may be able to get those funds towards you. Right. Well, and Candlelighters actually has a website as well. I believe it's kids for four kids with cancer, some something along those lines. I'll be sure to I know post. If you uh, Google it. It's it's there. Yeah, I'll be sure to get that link up in the show notes as well uh, for all of our listeners. Well, hey Ryan, thanks again. I really appreciate you coming in studio here and sitting down. Um, gonna have to have you back again. I think later this summer uh, after we get a few wheeling trips um, under our belts, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more Jeep and and uh, share some wheeling stories. How's that sound? Sounds good. We could do some actual live live interviews at these shows and events. Yep, I'm uh, I'm very active as far as that goes. So, um, folks, you'll be hearing a lot of those kind of show reports uh, as I. DJ and MC them. And so I'll usually have the microphone uh, going around and talk with people. So chances are you're going to hear Ryan's voice again real soon. This is Brandy Chair from Every Inch Counts, and you're listening to the XJ Talk Show. Well, that was a great show. Great interview, Josh. And uh, Steve, thank you for that uh, that Jeep tip. As I was saying earlier, we're going to uh, get back to our, our uh, technical roots and uh, give you guys some more information hopefully information you can use and uh at at least if you can't use it find it interesting yeah folks and i'm going to be uh producing a little bit more on the uh, electrical and audio tips uh with the uh, in-studio guest this week i have a lot on my plate as far as editing goes and of course setting up um uh, this new this new segment you know with this uh these live call-in guests uh that was definitely a lot of work so you know hopefully you guys uh, enjoyed yourselves and and uh, and like that part maybe we'll get uh, maybe that we'll do that a little bit more often maybe once a month or something like that we'll come up with something where we can do that for you guys but it was definitely uh definitely nice to be able to do that to you or do that for you guys <laughs> and, uh, and give that to you <laughs> do that to you <laughs> do that I mean, we funky white stuff to, yeah we got to give thanks to all of our uh, all of our callers as well big thanks to um uh to the the bear and to and to steve and to, and to bobby for for calling in or for allowing us to call you guys rather and so we really appreciate you guys uh, being a part of this and and uh, and taking the time to sit down and, and continue this discussion about uh, about what's going on with these, these website acquisitions. And speaking of electrical and audio, Josh, we did get a request on Facebook. Uh, there's been a request for how to set up dual batteries in a a, a Jeep XJ. Well, I've definitely uh, have uh, some knowledge on that. I've done several dual battery setups in, in all kinds of vehicles. So uh, I will get into the studio and uh, have that for you guys next week. Yeah, it might be actually a partnership uh, thing with uh, Steve because he has it in his Jeep currently. Oh, excellent. Yeah, Steve and I have uh, have tag teamed on a um, on electrical and audio tips before. Uh, you guys may remember the um, the, uh, the relay segment. Uh, and if you guys don't, uh, it's definitely up on xjtalkshow.com uh, and uh, the electrical and audio tip section of xjtalk.com. 
And guys, don't forget, uh, this uh, this whole talk show thing is uh, here to support xjtalk.com. It's the, uh, as we say, the premier Jeep Cherokee website where we have, uh, gosh, 70, 80 new users uh, uh, every two weeks. So, uh, oh my gosh, that's 160 a month, Josh. I just did the math that on that. Outstanding. Yep, it Love is. Love to see that kind of activity. Yep, it is. Get on there and post. Let us know what you're thinking. Uh, let us know the problems you're having and let us help. And folks, if you've got uh, something to share with us, please call our 24-7 voicemail line at 530-675-4102. If you got something for our new segment, uh, This Week in Jeep, send it to newstips at xjtalk.com. Yep, yep. And uh, don't forget, we're here every week, uh, Sunday, 10 p.m. Central, uh, on uh, ustream.tv slash channel slash xjtalk. Uh, we're on uh, Facebook. We're on the Twitter. And uh, as I was just saying, xjtalk.com, you know, it's it's a forum. Get on there. There's no bashing. It's a friendly site. Uh, we love uh, for people to get on there and post and share. Uh, we love seeing the pictures. Problems are okay, but we love seeing the pictures. Pictures are fun. Speaking of pictures, I'll have some pictures and some video up for you guys in the uh, show notes of uh, what we talked about going on at the beginning of the show. Yep, yep. Thanks, guys. Have a, uh, a safe week. You're listening to the XJ Talk Show. Please help Tony and Josh get more listeners by telling a friend or two or three about the podcast. It's so simple. Just tell them to go to xjtalkshow.com. Okay, look, Tony is really insecure and he measures his success by how many people listen to the show. He is driving us crazy. So please tell a friend. I just wanted to say XJ Talk is the best fucking site in the fucking world. And if you think you know of a better fucking site, fuck you. By the way, this is Big Jim 350. Bye. <laughs> that makes me laugh every time. <laughs> every single time. It makes me smile and chuckle. <laughs>